Deception, the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid, the fact or condition of being deceived. Hello, my name is W.F. White, and uh, in this documentary, I will be taking a look at the Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, their teachings, and their global agenda in these last days. I will be breaking uh, this documentary up into three different parts. In the first part, I will be giving you my own personal testimony, how I came out of the darkness of Roman Catholicism, how the Lord set me free. And uh, in the second part, I'll be taking a look at the global agenda of Rome and how they work. Some of the people who oppose them, I will show you some of those uh, people also. In the last part, I will take a look at the modern time that we're living in now. Some of the people who have compromised with Rome, they were seduced by Rome, others who are working with Rome, and you'll get a better idea of why I am uh, doing this video here, this documentary. So as I said, I will give you my testimony. I was raised as a Roman Catholic. I went through all of the rituals and sacraments of that church, including Holy Communion, uh, which you uh, do as a young man or woman, and confirmation. I was an altar boy. So I, you know, I, I know the ins and outs of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, you know, during the 1970s, you know, I had an insatiable desire for truth. Oh, yes, I did. So I went out to this shopping mall, living in New York. I went out to Long Island to the shopping mall. And uh, there was a couple of bookstores out there. And I would go into those bookstores, into the uh, spiritual section, the religious section, uh, the self-improvement section. I would just uh, go through those uh, bookshelves one by one going from section to section you know I wanted the truth and this went on for quite a long time and over the course of several years I filled this big box with uh, books that I purchased over that period of time you know in 1980 I met my wife Kathy late 1980 December and we married in the year 1981 July 1981 and I was still you know I still had the hunger uh, for truth, and I was looking into all different uh, things. Well, we became involved with the Roman Catholic charismatic movement during that time. Also, that was during the I would say the mid to late 1980s. We were involved with the charismatic movement of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, many people uh, don't really understand that movement. It's like I, I could put it this way that the a charismatic movement, it's like the Roman Catholic Church on steroids. So it's more lively. It was more like what you would call like a Pentecostal type of uh, church. But uh, hear me now, it's still 100% Roman Catholic. So, you know, as uh, we were involved in it, my, my wife, Kathy, got involved uh, before I did actually joined a Catholic uh, charismatic prayer group. And she would go there, I think it was once a week, and they would pray together. And when they prayed, they would have a, a little statue of Mary uh, seated on a, a chair, a folding chair with a rosary beads draped around that statue of Mary. So, um, you know, some of those people uh, from that uh, prayer group, they had told Kathy and us, eventually I joined with Kathy, they would tell us about this um, apparition that was taking place at Medjugorje of 
whom they believed was Mother Mary, the Blessed Virgin, and said that she was appearing over there and um, in Yugoslavia. And they told us different stories. Some of them actually went over there uh, to visit that place. And they would tell us stories about how they had rosary beads and the chain that held the beads, you know, it was silver. But when they went over there, they told us that the uh, chain turned to gold from the from the silver color to gold. And we were like, wow, this is unbelievable stuff. And they would be telling us other things. So we became interested in that. We actually handed out uh, little leaflets regarding that apparition or appearance of Mary, who we thought was Mary, but it turns out was not Mary. So we, we did this uh, for a bit in, inside that charismatic uh, movement. Uh, we attended what is known as Roman Catholic Hailing Masses. Now, during the Roman Catholic Hailing Mass, it's just like a regular Catholic Mass, the only difference being they would be uh, having uh, a service where they would lay hands on people and people would fall down. It's, they, they called it being slain in the spirit. And during that time of the Mass, after the main part of the Mass, after the uh, consecration of, of the Eucharist, uh, the priest would come in, and as I said, he would lay hands on people. People would have requests for different things for him uh, to pray for. Now, during that time of the Mass, they would be praying the rosary. Those are Hail Mary prayers, uh, mostly Hail Mary prayers uh, on the rosary. That would go on, and sometimes those things would go on uh, for close to three hours. So they, they, that, that was part of the uh, charismatic movement. So you know, during this time, you know, there's a Christian woman that uh, had been witnessing to my wife, Kathy. You know, Kathy would wear a Mary, a Mary medal around uh, her neck. And um, the woman knew, you know, something about these apparitions. And she, she, you know, told Kathy, basically, they're not of God. You know, so she was steering her away from that. And that bothered Kathy. You know, Kathy searched the scriptures for herself. And one day, as she was, you know, uh, reading the Bible, and what she would do, she would compare the messages from the apparition of Mary in uh, Medjugorje with the scriptures. And, and, you know, the Lord started opening up her eyes, her spiritual eyes, and she saw the error. She saw the deceitfulness of those messages when measured against the scriptures. So she came to the conclusion that this was not of God at all. So now during this time, when we were into this Medjugorje uh, apparition, we would have people coming over our house because we had different videos uh, concerning that apparition at Medjugorje. We would be telling people like, look at this, you know, this is a miracle. And we would uh, show them videos where the uh, visionaries, these young people who said they were seeing Mary and that Mary was coming forth with messages. And we would be uh, showing these videos to different people and uh, people would be watching relatives and so on and so forth. You see the visionaries when they would see uh, uh, Mary, you didn't see it on the screen, but they would throw themselves on the floor and you look at the gaze uh, uh, upon their face, the countenance. And I, I remember saying, look, look, they're seeing something. You could tell by the way they're looking, you know, so we were hooked, you know, we were hooked into that stuff until, you know, the Lord started showing Kathy and eventually me. So she uh, would uh, come to me and try to tell me like, this isn't on the level, but I didn't want to listen to her. You know, that, that's what it's like to be deceived, folks. When you're into something, you, you, you're so sure it's right, and, 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 you, 
and you don't know you're wrong. You're in darkness, you know, and after a, a few weeks, you know, of resisting her, you know, one time she came to me, uh, literally, you know, tears coming down her eyes, and she said, uh, listen to me, you know, just listen to me. So I said, you know, there was something in me just said, listen, and she had like four pages of, of scripture uh, from the Bible, you know, comparing with these um, Mejigori apparitions, you know, I, I looked at those scriptures myself, and, you know, one day, I just remember, you know, the Lord opened my eyes. The Lord showed me the truth. You know, I remember reading the Gospel of John, and I love the Gospel of John, and the, and the Lord opened my eyes, showed me who he was, showed me that he came down from heaven, showed me uh, that, that the Lord was persecuted, that, that, that he was slain on the cross, but most importantly, that he did it for me. Growing up as a Catholic, you know, I would uh, utter the Apostles' Creed week after week. You know, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, and so on and so forth. But I did it by rote. But there's a big difference when you come to know the Lord, uh, when, when the Spirit of the living God opens up your eyes, opens up your heart, you understand who he is. And, 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 and I was born again. That's what happened to me, folks. I was born again of the Spirit. When, when you come to a knowledge of the truth of who Christ is what he did for you and this is in fact this is why I am doing this documentary folks testifying of what Christ did for me what he can do for you if you are a Roman Catholic you need to take heed to what you are hearing here today you know what I would do you know after I became a Christian, you know, sometimes I would buy books, you know, uh, Catholic teachings just to see what the teaching in this modern day. And it happened to be a book uh, that came out in the year 2000. Now, I was born again back in 1989. So this was like 11 years after I was saved. But it, it caught my eye because the title, it said, God Sent. A History of the Accredited Apparitions of Mary by Roy Abraham Varghese, the Crossroad Publishing Company. So being that uh, my testimony is that I came out of that, I found it curious. I wanted to see what he was putting in that book. So this particular book, it contains like all of the main uh, well-known apparitions of Mary, like Fatima, Lourdes, and Guadalupe, and so on and so forth. And obviously it also had this apparition regarding uh, Mary at Medjugorje. Now it says here, if you look uh, pages 184 to 213 of that book are dedicated to this apparition of Mary. And the author calls the apparition at Medjugorje the most influential apparition of the century after Fatima. Now, obviously, he was referring to the last century, not the century we're living in now. So, uh, And these apparitions, by the way, they began in 1981. Believe it or not, they are still going on to this day as I speak. That's a long time. So this book was written uh, 22 years ago. So, and back then he talked about the 30 million, and that was as of 2000, as I said, who have visited Medjugorje and the tens of millions who have been third-party recipients of the graces mediated by the Virgin. So, uh, this is not a small thing. It's not a light thing. Millions upon millions have been there and still go there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes, they do. And uh, on the back cover of that book, there's a photo of the late 
Pope John Paul II. He's blessing a copy of this book, which is held by the author, Roy Abraham Varghese, or Varghese, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. And on the back cover, it says, Compelling Evidence for the Authenticity of the Apparitions of Mary, an Analysis of the Prophecies and Messages that Were Delivered, and an Explanation of the Relationship of This Phenomenon to Human History, Past, Present, and Future. So, as I said, folks, this is the Church of Rome. This is this is what they do. And, you know, it's very important that you know what is going on. Now, I know there are some people that say, oh, we don't believe in these apparitions. It was never validated. Well, I just showed you, folks, what this book is telling us and, and how Pope John Paul II was blessing a copy. It's talking about these apparitions as being accredited, okay? So whatever disputes they might have among themselves, that's between themselves, okay? I don't know, but I'm just telling you what I was into. I'm telling you what I was delivered from. I'm telling you how I was set free by the spirit of the living God. So this is some heavy stuff we're talking about. So I'm just going to give you a a couple of things that are found in this book. I remember these uh, messages, certain messages that were given. And by the way, you know, there are many websites uh, online that deal with the uh, Medjugorje uh, messages of Mary, and they contain like 40 years of all these messages. You can read them for free. Go online and you'll be able to Google it and search it out. So some of the things I'm reading uh, here from this book, you can find them online. So it's did not limit it to this particular book. So I just want to show you, give you an idea of how uh, deception works. You know, I might have been very sincere in what I was doing, but I was sincerely deceived. Oh, yes, I was. I came out of darkness, folks. Thank God for that. So here's one. This message came forth from August 25th, 1998. So you got to remember that the, the visionaries, they're seeing uh, a woman appear, okay? And, and whatever they're seeing, how they're seeing it, but they're seeing a woman appear. And this is what the, this woman who they believe to be Mother Mary, the Blessed Virgin, this is what she said, August 25th, 1998. If you pray, Satan cannot injure you even a little because you are God's children and he is watching over you. Pray and let the rosary always be in your hands as a sign to Satan that you belong to me. Now, when you think about this, folks, here's this woman that's appearing. They believe it's Mary. They believe it's Mother Mary. And she's telling them, make sure that the rosary, the rosary, uh, which I've prayed many times, it's mostly Hail Mary uh, prayers, five decades. That's 50 Hail Marys. You have other prayers in it, Our Father, uh, the glory be and so on. So she's telling them, make sure you got those rosary beads with you. And it's a sign to Satan, the devil, that you belong to me, Mary. You see that, folks? So this is deception. You know, I thank God that I came out from this darkness because when you're born again, it's all about Jesus Christ, folks. Oh, yes. In fact, I used to tell people about these things. But when I got saved, I said, look, forget it. Everything I told you about Mary it's all about Jesus. Glory to God. So here's another one from August 8th, 1985. This uh, person who they believe is married, this is what she said. Dear children, 
Today, I am calling you to pray against Satan in a special way. Satan wants to work more now that you know he is active. Dear children, dress up in clothes of armor against Satan. With rosaries in your hands, you will conquer. Okay? So I want you to see what's taking place here, folks. They believe this is Mary that's telling them, look, pray your rosary. Walk around with your rosary. Make sure the rosary beads are in your hands. You'll conquer. But actually, they do not realize that they are viewing demon spirits. So this is Satan telling you, look, pray the rosary. It's Satan. It's the devil deceiving these poor souls. And this has been going on for many, many years. As I said, folks, uh, since 1981, it's, uh, it's a long time. So this is the deception. Uh, they believe that they're uh, listening to Mary and that she's doing the right thing and that they're doing the right thing by praying the rosary, praying the Hail Mary prayers. I know I did it. I was one of them. So you're praying the Hail Marys. My prayers to Mary increased in the Catholic charismatic movement, folks. So this is something you need to know. Another uh, topic that this um, apparition of Mary talks about is purgatory, okay? These are all Roman Catholic teachings, by the way. They're the doctrines that are well known to Roman Catholic people. So this uh, message came forth on July 21st, 1982. This is what she said. There are many souls in purgatory. There are also persons who have been consecrated to God, some priests, some religious pray for their intentions, at least the Lord's Prayer, the Hail Mary, and the Glory Be, seven times each, and the Creed, I recommend it to you. There is a large number of souls who have been in purgatory for a long time because no one prays for them. So that was the message from July 21st, 1982. So uh, that was from... That book, God Sent, it's a history of the accredited apparitions of Mary by Roy Abraham Varghese, the Crossroad Publishing Company, and uh, you'll find those messages in there. So, you know, as I said, that last message was regarding purgatory. You know, after I was saved, folks, after I was born again of the Spirit, I knew that this whole thing regarding purgatory was a complete sham. It, it, the place does not exist. It's a make-believe place. And when you think about it, you know, people will have uh, mass cards. Uh, they will uh, donate to have a mass said for the deceased friends and relatives because they believe you're in this place called purgatory. I've done it. And so you, you're going to have a—you'll you'll make a donation uh, growing up. I remember— uh, you can pay a dollar for a, just a little white card, a white envelope, and if you wanted a, a, a nicer one, like a vinyl, uh, thicker one with, with a picture, that was like five bucks. So that's going back in the 1960s. And you, you think you're doing the right thing. If somebody dies, you go to the funeral parlor, and you, you, you bring this mask card to the uh, deceased's relative and say, you know, I'm so sorry. And they have a, like a mask card stand with clips for each little mask card, and, and that's you'll see. People, if you're Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. And some of those, that stand will fill up very quickly because all the Catholics are doing the same thing, uh, buying mass cards and, and, and bringing them to the people. Now, think about this now, folks. Uh, the, the money that is made on, on selling these mass cards, so people are praying for, for their relatives, their friends, that they believe are in purgatory, a make-believe place that does not 
exist. That's something, you know, so uh, in fact, that really hit me hard. You know, when, when you get saved, you realize by the spirit of God that, that, that it's not real. You know, I'm saved. I, no, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been born again. And it's the spirit of God that shows you the truth about these things. So, you know, those uh, apparitions, that apparition, I should say, of uh, Mary at uh, Medjugorje. Another thing that uh, this apparition would talk about is praying before the Blessed Sacrament. The Blessed Sacrament is the consecrated uh, Eucharistic host of, uh, that they give out at Mass. And sometimes that uh, host will be placed in what is known as a monstrance. It's up on the screen. You can see it. They believe, as you take a look at that circle in the middle of that sunburst design, that brass, okay, it's a very, very paganistic. It's idolatry, folks. In the middle, that's a piece of bread. That's the Eucharistic host. They believe, as a Catholic, they are taught, I was taught, that that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. They believe that that is Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Take a good look at that thing. In fact, you know, recently during the COVID crisis, I remember uh, over uh, in Ecuador, you know, seeing one of the bishops, I believe it was, and he hopped in a helicopter and he was holding the, the monstrance. They would wrap the bottom of the monstrance. And, and that uh, bishop was then uh, flying around over Ecuador. He believes he's carrying Jesus Christ and they're praying for the people because of uh, the outbreak of COVID. Many people were dying. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. So these are all Roman Catholic doctrines. So the doctrines that were coming forth from this apparition at Medjugorje they're Roman Catholic, okay? I thank God that the Lord set me free. So it was the power of the Holy Spirit anointing the word of God that set me free. And Jesus said in John 8 and 32, he said, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's exactly what happened in my case, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, as I said before, the Gospel of John you know, when I started reading it, the Spirit of God just opened that book to me, uh, opened my eyes uh, to the truth. And in, uh, in a little while, I'm going to start giving you some of the scriptures that set me free. You know, I'm going to give you some of the scriptures that will set you free. And some of you are going to be set free even today as you're listening, uh, because the truth will set you free, folks, by the Spirit of the living God. And you, you have to realize after I got saved, the moment when I got saved, I remember, folks, you, you have the joy of the Lord. You're so glad, you know, that the Lord opens your eyes. But at the same time, I felt as if Satan himself was looking over my shoulder as, you know, because I, I came out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And when you come out of a dark place for so many years, I was 36 years old when I got saved, ladies and gentlemen, back in 1989. And, and it's like the devil knew he lost me. Glory to God. But, but, you know, at the same time, I saw the seriousness of it, folks, because it's like I had an instant burden for souls, because I knew that the majority of people were lost. You know, folks, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. That has never left me, by the way. When you're born again of the Spirit, folks, and when you come out of darkness, you, you, you have a burden for souls. How could you not? And you have a desire 
to tell others. That's the evangelistic spirit that comes when a person is saved. I'm not saying everybody's going to be an evangelist out on the street, but you will have a, a burden for souls because you realize that you yourself were walking in darkness. You deserve nothing but hell. I deserve nothing but hell, folks. I'll tell you that right off the bat. So it's a miracle uh, to be saved. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That's 1 Peter 5 and 8. Folks, there is a battle for your soul going on. Whether you think that's true or not, doesn't matter. The truth is there is still a battle going on for your soul. There was a battle going on for my soul before I was saved, folks. I was walking in darkness. I was a puppet of the devil. That's right. Totally deceived. And when I, when I was born again, folks, it's like you enter a realm. You don't even, uh, I never knew it existed, ladies and gentlemen. It's only the Spirit of God that can do that. Let me read to you Galatians 1. Uh, verses 8 and 9, it says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. You know, when I was born again, folks, I knew that, that I was sitting under the sound of a false gospel. I was sitting under the sound of an accursed gospel. The gospel that is preached by the Church of Rome is not the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved my soul. Don't ever forget that. So, you know, when, when Kathy and I, my wife Kathy, when we got saved, you know, we left the, the Catholic Church. We left the charismatic uh, prayer group. You know, we spoke to the people, and let me say something, we love those people, <laughs> you see? Uh, we loved the people. We, 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 we prayed with these people, but we realized that they were deceived. You know, we told them, we spoke to them about the Mary issue, and uh, basically they didn't want to hear it. Oh, yes. So, you know, that's just the way it goes, ladies and gentlemen. So we moved on. And as I said, I'm going to give you some of the uh, scriptures uh, that ministered to me. Uh, before I do that, though, you know, as we as we came out of that charismatic movement, I remembered one of the people from the uh, prayer group that we one uh, one of the prayer groups we went to two different uh, Catholic charismatic prayer groups. One of the uh, people sent us an article from a newspaper, and was uh, it was about how uh, the Eucharistic host turned into the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, like it actually started to bleed. Uh, they're known as, like, I think they call them Eucharistic miracles. And we were like, whoa. You know, see, the devil was seeking to bring us back. You know, we were out, and he was trying to pull us back in. There's a battle. You see, there's a battle for the soul. So, uh, as I said, let me get to some scriptures that ministered to me. You know, as I said, the Gospel of John, I love that book. And if you go to the first chapter of John, chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, you know, the Spirit of God anointed these uh, verses to me, and, and it blew me away because they're talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. 
You know, it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's another thing to know Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. And this is talking about Christ. The, the word is speaking about Christ. And, you know, when you think about it, that the word is called God. He was with God and the word was God. And as I said, it's only the spirit of the living God that can show you these things. Now, in that same chapter one, uh, I read this. Uh, verse 10 to 14, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory to God. So, as I said, the, the Spirit of God was showing me these things, ladies and gentlemen. So here we are just in one chapter in the Gospel of John, the first chapter of that Gospel. And we see here that he was in the world and the world was made by him. So we're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the Creator of all things. And it says, as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons or children of God, you could say. So you, you have the, the, the ability to become a child of God. How? It's by believing on His name. This is through simple faith, okay? And look at the part it says, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word that we saw before in John 1, 1 to 3, the word that we know was God, was with God, and was God, it tells us here that that same word was made flesh. So this is what is known as the incarnation. This is God manifest in the flesh. This is the Jesus Christ of truth, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Jesus Christ you find in the scriptures. So, you know, when you're born again, you realize who Christ is. You understand the divinity or deity of Christ. You're like, wow, this is this this is what hit me, folks. And, and you know, I'm born again, and you're like, wow. So, you know, my, my relationship now with the Church of Rome was severed. You know, it's scriptures like this that just said no more. I cannot sit in that place anymore. I've been saved. I've been born again of the Spirit. I know the one who created all things, and he's the one that walked in this world. He's the one that went to the cross for me. So that's what that is talking about. You know, so uh, I want to talk to you now about the new birth. So these are other scriptures that just uh, lit up to me, folks, and you can find in John chapter 3. You know, I often tell people, if you don't have time to really read the Bible, you know, read read one one chapter. Read John uh, chapter 3. You know, I used to preach on the trains in New York City, and I remember telling the people many times this. I said, if you don't want to uh, read the whole Bible, folks, just remember this. Read one chapter, John chapter 3. I'd tell them that all the time. I figured uh, they, they could do that, you know. So let me read to you now. I'm going to read to you John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest 
except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the spirit. Hallelujah. So here we have a Jewish ruler. He was a Jewish rabbi, folks. He was a ruler uh, and he wanted to know more. He, he knew enough about Jesus Christ. He saw what was taking place. He saw certain miracles probably that took place. He knew there was power uh, uh, in Jesus Christ, and that's how he came to him. And, 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 and he said, I know you come from God. But, you know, look what Jesus did. He, he got right to the point. He got right to the chase, and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, so Jesus is telling his ruler who had no idea what he was talking about, about being born again. It's a spiritual birth, sometimes called the new birth. And this is something that must take place before you die, ladies and gentlemen. Think about it. Here's the creator of all things, ladies and gentlemen. All things. And he's telling him that he must be born again, or he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot understand the things of God, the things of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about there. So if you, you notice that the Lord went on to say, he said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So he didn't say maybe, could be, possibly. No, he said must be. You must be born again. And don't miss what he said. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. What's that talking about? Being born of the flesh, folks, that simply means being born physically. So you were born physically. You came out of your mother's womb. That's what it means. You were born of the flesh. But he says you must be born of the spirit. So it is a spiritual birth that must take place. And as I said, if, if that don't pl take place before you die, folks, you will simply die in your sins. This is a, this is a, a birth that must take place. It's imperative if you want to see heaven. Uh, don't miss this, folks. So, so these are scriptures that lit up to me. All of these played a part in my uh, coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, you, you can't earn your way into heaven. In Titus 3, uh, five, it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so so you got to be regenerated, folks, from the inside, on the inside, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not by your own good works, not by works of righteousness that we have done. All our own uh, good deeds, our own righteousness, folks. It's, it's filthy rags. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, 
and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So think about that. Think of all the good deeds you've done. You don't know the Lord. All the good things you try to get right with God and uh, maybe maybe I'll donate here, I'll donate there. I, I, I hope that God will uh, let me in. You know, we have this mental picture sometimes of the scales of justice and we hope that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds and, and maybe we got a better shot. You know, I used to think that way, but unfortunately, folks, it, it doesn't work that way. You, you must be born again. It says 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. N-E-W, new. So when, when, you're, when you're saved, folks, when you're regenerated, when you're born again of the Spirit, you're, you're in Christ. You're a new creation, okay? You're in Christ, okay? You, you don't need uh, people to tell you, you know, you must go to Mass, or you must go to your priest to confess your sins, go to the confessional booth, and so on and so forth. No, you, you get a connection with God, folks, with the Lord in heaven. You're born again of the Spirit, and that's what that is talking uh, about. You know, when I was born again, folks, I realized, you know, I, I understood the word. I, I knew I was justified by faith. And we have a witness in the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and 16, it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. Don't miss this. So the spirit of the living God, folks, is going to be a witness with your own heart, your own spirit, that you're a child of God. This is what happens when you're born again of the spirit. You see? So I'm not, you know, as a Roman Catholic, I'm going to my Catholic mass week after week, and they're telling me that the Roman Catholic mass satisfies the justice of God for sins committed against him. That's what I learned growing up in my catechism. So, so my Bible tells me that Jesus paid the price already. I don't have to go back to Catholic Mass. My, my, my Bible tells me I can go straight to God to have my sins forgiven. I've been redeemed. I don't have to go to a confessional boat. So you see the difference between the gospel of Rome and the gospel of Jesus Christ that is found within the scriptures. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 12 through 14, it tells us this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, you know, when you're born again, you're receiving not the Spirit of the world, but you're receiving the Spirit which is of God. Hallelujah. And now God is going to show you things, folks. The Holy Ghost is going to show you things. Oh, yes. And the natural man, that's the man in the flesh. That was me before I came to know the Lord, okay? I didn't understand the things of God. I didn't have the Holy Spirit. I had no idea that I was walking on the highway to hell, bopping along on the road to hell. Years, folks, going out and partying. Let's have fun on my way to hell. So, folks, when you're born again, you realize you receive the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I remember as a new Christian especially, you'd be trying to explain different 
things to people, folks, that you got to remember that they're blind, just like I was blind. I was spiritually blind, blind. My mind was blinded by Satan himself, the God of this world. So, you know, I, I, I say sometimes, you know, it's like I re, if you remember that comedy, Abbott and Costello, I remember watching that growing up in the 60s, you know, the one with Frankenstein and there's Lou Costello and, um, you know, the, the, the you know, re, re, revolving door and Frankenstein appears and, and he's trying to call his, uh, his buddy, you know, remember when he used to say, hey, Abbott. <laughs> so here's his Frankenstein. He's trying to tell him, you know, and, and he's, he's frightened. So, so now, now the other guy comes. Uh, this is Lou Costello and his friend Abbott. So, you know, Abbott comes and, and the, wall, the, the, the revolving door turns around and he's not there. So, so the point I make is this. Lou Costello knew that Frankenstein was on the other side of the wall, but his buddy couldn't see it. So it's the same way. We, we have the truth that can set people free, but the natural man cannot see the things that we see in the spirit. So the only thing you can do is you can pray for them and you preach the gospel to them, and the same word that you preach to them will set them free if they are open to the truth. Oh, yes. So that's the way it works, folks. There's power in the word of God. There's power in the scriptures. Any true believer will tell you that. It's the truth of God's word, folks. And the spirit of God anoints the word and, and the incorruptible seed touches the heart. It's received by faith. And that's how people get saved. So the devil, folks, he was hiding the truth from me. He had me in his headlock, his demonic headlock my whole life up until that point at the age of 36. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So, before I came to know the Lord, folks, the gospel was hid. I was lost. The God of this world, he kept my mind blinded, okay? And, and the devil did not want me to uh, see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which I eventually did, thank God. And then it shined unto me, shined into my heart. Glory to God. So when we share the gospel with others, they are still in the headlock of Satan himself. They don't see. They, they may have no, no interest at all in the gospel, folks. And they're, they're doing just fine. You know, a lot of people are rich. You know, they, they, they make it in this world, but they have no idea that they are walking in darkness. They're walking on the road to hell. Oh, yes. Rich, famous, poor. It doesn't matter, folks. You must be born again. So people are under the delusion that they're okay when they're not okay. The gospel is hid, and it's the God of this world, the devil himself. He's the God of this world. He keeps their mind blinded. Oh, yes. Folks, this is one of the main uh, scriptures I use all the time, uh, ministers to me. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, it says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure, for a good man somewhat even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So as I said, these are scriptures that ministered to me, folks. Look, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm an ungodly wretch. I need mercy. So, so going to my Catholic mass week after week, saying uh, the Apostles' Creed and receiving communion and so on and so forth, that was doing nothing for me. I wasn't saved. I was on my way to hell. I never heard stuff like this, folks. It's my own fault. I, I, I should have had my own Bible been digging in. for. Uh, I didn't. Look, it's right here. Christ died for the ungodly. He, he commended his love toward me. I was a sinner. He died for me, died for us. It tells me I'm justified by his blood. I don't have to go back to Catholic Mass where they repeat the sacrifice. Okay? They'll, they'll say, oh, no, we're just representing. Oh, no, look, I'm telling you. This is, this is the truth that set me free. I know the Catholic Mass, this whole thing. It's, it's, it's a sham. And I did it for years, folks. And it tells me I'm reconciled. Look, I was reconciled back to God, how? By the death of his son. That took place almost 2,000 years ago. It's, it's, it's in, in the past. You know, you can't repeat. You can't represent the sacrifice of Christ. It's a done deal, folks. It's like when you pay off your car. You get all those coupons in the mail that come for years, and finally you get the last one, you pay it off. And you get a, a stamp on the thing, paid in full. Well, this is what Jesus did for me. He paid it in full. The account is settled. He paid it on the cross, folks. Hebrews 10, it says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, meaning Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That eliminates all sacrifices, folks. The sacrifice of the Mass, the priest standing there doing his consecration of the Eucharistic host, Daily sacrifices, folks. Week in, week out, year in, year out, folks. It's right here. It's paid for. Jesus did it. He sat down. It's over. He said, it is finished. John 19, 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Listen, if the word of God, who is God, the word who became flesh, tells you, folks, that it is finished, you better listen when he tells you it is finished. You're in disobedience to God if you uh, continue uh, going to your sacrifice of the mass, folks. He, he said it's, it's finished. Another uh, scripture verse that ministered to me, folks, because I was a Mary prayer, praying to Mary, sometimes to saints, okay? 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One media, you don't see Mary mentioned there, folks. <laughs> you don't need to go through Mary to get to God. You don't need Mary. It's right here, Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He's our advocate, ladies and gentlemen. Another great verse, John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I like that verse so much I had it put on a jacket that I had to uh, put it up on a screen there for you. The same verse, folks. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's all about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 
So let me close it out here, this first part. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, another passage that ministered to me. It says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. It was a man healed. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You notice in the passage that Peter is talking to the people of Israel. This gospel that I preach, folks, is for Jew and Gentile. That includes the whole world, no matter who you are. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, listen to me, you are lost. You are still dead in your sins. Oh yes, you are dead in your sins. And this scripture lets it know, lets us know that there is no other name. There is no other way uh, for you to be saved. You must come through Jesus Christ. You want salvation? It's found in Jesus Christ. You, you may want religion, but you don't want Jesus Christ. Well, well you're still lost. Many people are very religious. They pray five times a day, but they don't know the Lord. They, they're not saved. So, so this verse, folks, that passage, I should say, that shuts the door on all false religion. There's salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to leave it right there in part one. Part two, we'll talk about more. Okay, so as we uh, take a look in this second part here uh, of this uh, documentary, let's take a look now at the global agenda of the Vatican. Okay, so in the first part, you know, I, I, I testified how I came uh, to know the Lord. And in this part, we're going to uh, take a deeper look into the Vatican system, the Roman Catholic Church, how they work. So the main thing I want you to know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is that you do not need this Vatican machine. You do not need the Roman Catholic Church. You don't. Uh, that's my testimony. It came out of this system, and we're going to take a look at how they operate a little uh, closer. Keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that the true believer in Jesus Christ, they've been justified by faith. We're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross, if you've been born again, in fact, if you've never been born again, you're not a Christian. You must be born again. This is what I spoke about in my testimony also. So the Holy Spirit will already bear witness with your own spirit that you are a child of God. You are connected with Almighty God, the true God. You're connected with him, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, think, of, think about it this way. Jesus Christ, he is the anchor of our soul, if you are a believer. Now, if you, you know ships, how they use those big, heavy anchors, and they throw them down into the water uh, when they're in the ocean. That anchor is going to hold them in that spot. And we have an anchor, ladies and gentlemen, an anchor in heaven, hallelujah, the anchor of our soul. Picture a an invisible spiritual chain, okay, between the believer and Jesus Christ. That's how I want you to think about it. He's the anchor of our soul. We're already connected, you see? So after years of being in the Roman Catholic Church, folks, it's a liberating thing when you're saved, when you're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't ever 
forget that. Psalms 121 verses 1 and 2, it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Our connection is with the Lord who is above. That's where our help is going to come from, ladies and gentlemen. We're saved. If, you, if you're a Christian, you've been born again already. If you're not, listen carefully to what you're hearing here today. Psalm 61 verses 1 and 2, it says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Oh, yes. So, you know, we look up, folks. Think of it vertical. So the Vatican, you know, it's, a, it's an evil cycle of deception. The Pope is called the Holy Father. Yes, he is. So we're looking above to, to our Father in heaven, folks. We're looking vertical. Uh, the, the Vatican would like you to look horizontal to this man on earth, the Pope, whom they call the Holy Father. Now, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. He said, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your Father which is in heaven. Don't forget that. Now, keep this in mind, folks. The fact that they call the Pope the Holy Father, that should be enough for any true believer to reject that system. They say, wait a second, I, I know the Bible. The Lord himself said, call no man your father upon the earth. So what, what business do they have telling you that the Pope is the Holy Father? You go to the Vatican website, that's exactly what he is called. That should be enough for any Christian. Never mind pastors and leaders. That should be enough saying, nope, stop the clock right here. We will not participate with you. You see that? But it's not happening. That's how the deception works, folks. And it's been going on for a very, very long time. So the Church of Rome, they have their own version of the Holy Father. It's a, a, a Holy Father who is not recognized by the true Holy Father. Don't forget that. The true Holy Father does not recognize the Pope as the Holy Father on earth. Absolutely not. So already, you know, it's like a railroad uh, train that went off the track. So already that system, that religious system known as the Roman Catholic Church is already off the tracks. Picture a train going off the rails. It's already off the rails on that alone. So they're teaching, ladies and gentlemen, you know, basically what they're saying, listen to us. You need our Pope. You need our Holy Father, Papa. Okay, that's, that, that's what you need. So, so they establish uh, their own supremacy. They want to lord it over you. They believe they're the only true church. They make no bones about that. So I'm here to tell you in this documentary that they are not the true church. They're not even part of the true church because it's a counterfeit gospel that they preach. Okay? So you're hearing, uh, I remind you from a former Roman Catholic, ladies and gentlemen, somebody who was inside that system. Let's take a look at what their Roman Catholic catechism has to say regarding the interpretation of the word of God. This is from the Catholic catechism of 1994, item number 100, it says, the task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely 
to the magisterium of the church, that is, to the Pope, and to the bishops in communion with him. Okay, so listen to that. Right off the bat, they're telling you that they got it, they alone, this task of understanding, interpreting the word of God, it's been entrusted solely to them, to the magisterium. That's the teaching office of the church. That is to the Pope and the bishops in communion with him, with the Pope. Item number 882. The Pope, Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity, both of the bishops, bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. For the Roman pontiff, by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church, has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Now, when they talk about the whole church, folks, I hope you realize this. They believe you, if you're, if you're just a measly uh, Protestant or evangelical Christian, uh, the, the, the goal of, of Rome is to bring everybody back under the wing of them. Oh, yes, that's what they want, folks. They, they believe that uh, uh, people in, in other churches, are, they call them sects, S-C-C-T-S, Okay, they call, they refer to them now as separated brethren. In the old days, they they simply called us heretics, and they killed you. And that's what we're going to dig into here. So th this is why I'm warning you, folks, about this system. Okay, I am warning you. So item number eighty-two. As a result, the church to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the holy scriptures alone, both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. There's another thing you have to realize, folks. This is how they, they uh, get people under their wing. They believe it's scripture plus their man-made tradition. So I'm here to tell you that you don't need that man-made tradition. Okay? You don't need it. I learned that by, by, by receiving the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, being born again of the Spirit. You do not need man-made tradition. So this is how they lord it over people. And they, have, they tell the people, look, we, 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 we interpret all these things. <laughs> you need us. You don't need them. Item number 85, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. So, there is the issue. The Pope has supreme authority. You know, it's the Vatican. You know, it's our way or it's the highway. <laughs> That's what they're telling you, folks. Our way or the highway. So, you know, this is what the reformers, folks, this is what they revolted against. They said, no way. We don't believe this. And, and of course, many of uh, them, their lives, and if they didn't die, they were severely uh, persecuted. Many were tortured. Oh, yes, that, that is the church of Rome. You're hearing the truth here uh, today, ladies and gentlemen. So we're talking about the counterfeit Holy Father, who's walking in darkness and hundreds of millions 
of people alive today still follow the Pope. Oh, yes, they do. You see this Pope when he travels. Folks, people bow down before him. They kiss his ring. And, uh, you know, so sad that, that the leaders in what you would call the modern-day church, the evangelical church, the Protestant church, they don't say, say anything. And we'll deal with that in part three. And I'm going to deal with it, trust me. So uh, I want you to see, folks, this is how they work. It's an evil cycle of deception that, that you need the Holy Father. You need him to lead you. He's the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth. But the scriptures tell us otherwise. Oh, yes. I want you to know, folks, that the true believer, you have an unction, you have a teacher, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Right from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, John 14, verse 26, he told us this, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you, right from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. We didn't have a Roman Catholic uh, magisterium or a pope to, to inter interpret that uh, for us, ladies and gentlemen. The believers had the scriptures being passed around. The anointing of the Holy Ghost would come upon them. People would understand the word of God, and that's exactly the way it works today. People hear the preaching of the word. They get saved. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They understand they do not need a Holy Father on this earth. They know by the Spirit of God, they know. Jesus said this, John 16 and 13, he said, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Oh, yes. He's going to show you things to come. The Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. We see a distinction there because he says uh, in this uh, uh, passage here, he says, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear. Who's talking to him? You see the triunity of the Godhead there, ladies and gentlemen. Who's talking to him? Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Okay? The Holy Spirit, not just a force uh, like the cults teach, ladies and gentlemen. 1 John 2, 20 and 21, it says, But ye, meaning the believer, have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Oh, yes. So we, we have an unction. We have the Holy Spirit. You know, as I said when I was testifying, folks, you know, I didn't even know this other realm existed uh, until the Holy Ghost came. You're born again of the Spirit. Oh, yes. You have the life of God inside of you. I, I shared this part before, but let me give you the scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Hallelujah. 
So we received the Spirit, which is of God. I knew the things that were freely given to me. You know, I opened up the Word of God. I opened up the Scriptures. And it's the Holy Spirit that made the Word come alive and showed me that I can be justified by the blood of Christ. I can be justified by faith. You see that? So it was exit time to get out of the Church of Rome, folks. That's why I speak up, because I see what's happening in the land. I see most pastors, and I do mean most pastors, are mute. They won't go near stuff like this. The church has become a business. Oh, yes, it has. And people are making a lot of money. Large churches, they become palaces. They won't go near stuff like this, folks. But I'm warning you because the Holy Ghost is telling me to warn you, folks. Don't forget what you're hearing here in this documentary. Let's take a look at the, the Vatican flag, folks. Uh, if you remember all the way back in uh, late 2015, the current Pope Francis, he came riding into Washington, D.C. in a little black fiat. Now, keep in mind, folks, whenever the Pope makes a move, I mean, every news channel, I think, on Earth is, is, has the camera on him, and he knows it. So this is the way this whole uh, propaganda works, folks. This, I watched it myself just to see. You know, I'm, I'm researching. Uh, it, it was a sight to behold. So here comes the Pope. You have all these gigantic black cars. You know those bulletproof black cars that you see sometimes? They're huge. I mean, they are huge. You see them uh, when, when presidents ride around and, and other people that got a lot of money. Everybody's riding around in these big black cars. Here comes the Pope riding around in a little black Fiat. So it's, it's, it's giving off the impression of... of humility and how humble uh, Pope Francis is, folks. L listen to me. I don't care if the Pope comes riding into town on an adult tricycle. He's still bringing a false counterfeit gospel with him. He's still calling himself the Holy Father. People are still bowing down before him, kissing his ring, and he's still preaching a counterfeit gospel. Oh, yes, he is. So uh, don't be fooled. Don't be enticed by this stuff, folks. Don't be fooled at all. So let's take a look at the, uh, the Vatican flag. You know, the, the Vatican flag was on these, all these cars. You always see this procession of cars, okay? And you'll see this Pope uh, riding around with this Vatican flag. And if you take a look at the Vatican flag, you'll see a coat of arms. And you get, you're going to see two keys crossed together. And they represent what they believe are the keys that were handed down to Peter, okay? So... This is the, this tiara, it's a three-tiered uh, crown, actually. I'll get into that a little bit. That tiara is within that flag. And I'll put a, you can see it up on the screen there. You can take a look. That's the uh, Vatican flag, and that's what they bring. That's what they uh, have on the cars. Oh, yes. So the person whom the Catholic Church declares to be the vicar of Christ, meaning the Pope, he visited the USA in 2015, and I watched that uh, video, as I said, and, and it's a sight to behold, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I remember uh, when Pope uh, Paul VI came into town in 1965. You know, uh, the school I was attending, Catholic school, went to Kennedy Airport, and, you know, we waited. Uh, I remember it was like a chilly morning, and uh, you, you're waiting there for such a long time for the Pope to come, and then, then I was right up in the front. And here comes this uh, limousine with a bubble back. And, and, and I saw the Pope clear as a bell with his little beanie on his head. I mean, it, the whole thing lasted about 10 seconds and it was over. 
You see, it's idolatry, folks. <laughs> I thank God I'm saved today. I really do. You know, because I was, I was, I was lost. I was dead in my sins at that time. I didn't know the Lord. I wasn't born again. I wasn't saved. I was bopping along on the way to hell. Oh, yes, I was. So that papal tiara, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get a little understanding, uh, you know, when, when popes were crowned, this is what they uh, would receive this tiara. And this is what would be said. It, it says, receive the tiara adorned with three crowns and know that thou, meaning the pope, art father of princes and kings, ruler of the world. Vicar on earth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom is honor and glory forever and ever. Now look at that. Thou art father of princes and kings, ruler of the world. What? Ruler of the world? Vicar on earth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, you think of all the pomposity Think of this regality, the, the robes that you see the popes uh, come and wear. You see it also the cardinals, the bishops, all it is big vestments, okay? What, what, what does this have to do with Jesus Christ? I have the answer. Absolutely nothing. Jesus Christ walked this earth, folks. You picture him walking this earth in sandals. You, none of this stuff. This is the image that's being projected that something regal, something royal is happening. Look at this man. Look at, look at him come. Oh, he's the Holy Father. He's not the Holy Father. He's a counterfeit Holy Father, ladies and gentlemen. You know, sometimes when I'm reading the news, there'll be a, a live video. It says live happening now. And uh, it happened to beyond when I saw it. And it was when uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, went to visit the Pope. And I just looked there, you know, if, if somebody would have had a camera on me, you would have seen me shaking my head and talking to myself like unbelievable. It, it is truly some, something to behold, ladies and gentlemen. And you're talking, uh, they had a convoy, I believe it was 85 cars that, that came through the town to meet the Pope. Listen, 85 cars, those big, those big cars I was telling you about, just to meet this man. I mean, you see the Swiss Guard, you see people, you see the... Are you kidding me? What does this have to do with the real Jesus Christ? Absolutely nothing. So, you know, this is why it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, to search the scriptures for yourself. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 11, it talks about the people of Berea. It says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So the preachers would come and they, they would make sure, they would look at the scriptures. They didn't go running to a, a pope or a magisterium. They searched the scriptures for themselves. That's what you need to do. And this is what Rome hated, by the uh, way, in the time of the Reformation. They, they killed people. They called them heretics, okay? People who were trying to preserve the word of God. And get it into the hands of the common people. So this is the Church of Rome, ladies and gentlemen. They have not changed. They have not changed. So the people in Berea, they were regular people, but they wanted to know that they were uh, being presented with the truth, and they did the right thing. They searched the Scriptures for themselves. When you think of Peter, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you don't see the pomposity, uh, anything remotely like it. 
you remember the time when uh, he went to meet a man by the name of Cornelius. You know, the Lord uh, put it on Peter's heart to go visit him. And uh, this is from Acts chapter 10. And this is verses 24 to 26. It says, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and their friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. So look what took place here. This uh, man Cornelius, who was very sincere in what he uh, was doing, he thought he was doing the right thing, he fell down to worship Peter. What, what did Peter do? Peter, Peter said, Stand up. Get up on your feet. I'm a man just like you. And that was the right thing to do. Peter rebuked the man, says, Get up. Stand up now. You see the exact opposite of the pomposity of what you see when the Pope strolls around in his long robes, okay? I mean, the Bible uh, <laughs> warns us about people in long robes, folks. This is deception. People are ensnared by this. They're led astray. They remain in darkness. And I thank God uh, many times that I came out of that darkness, the darkness of Roman Catholicism. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 to 5, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Wow. Right from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. That's a powerful uh, thing, ladies and gentlemen, very powerful uh, message from the Lord. He, he's, he's warning us, don't let anybody deceive you. Don't be deceived. And a, a warning came forth from the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He said, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So the Church of Rome, ladies and gentlemen, it's filled with doctrines of devils. Not doctrines that came from uh, the scriptures, not doctrines that came from the Lord Jesus Christ, but doctrines of devils or demons, if you would. So Paul's warning here, and look at what he says now, the Spirit speaketh expressly. It's the Holy Spirit that told him that in the latter times, we're in the latter times, that there will be people departing from the faith why? Because of seducing spirits. All right? They're giving heed. And here the Lord Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. So it's a warning. So people go bopping along, and when you have these unity meetings, they think nothing of it because the, the, the pastors in the pulpit fail to warn. They fail to do their job. They fail to play the watchman. Oh, yes. And they let this enter in very, very slowly. And, and that's why, you know, Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's why we are where we are today. That's why you have all of these counterfeit unity meetings going on. That's why you have the Pope speaking at that Together 2016 meeting. You have all these big name preachers there. And, and here comes the counterfeit Holy Father speaking. You see that, folks? I hope you see it. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, people become acclimated. They become accustomed to, to, to what is going on. And, uh, you know, 
they start uniting. Uh, there's this amalgamation that takes place. They're, they're absorbing and taking it all in, you see? This is the way the Church of Rome works. This is the way Satan works. So, so Jesus warned for a reason. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 to 14, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So this cycle, this evil cycle of deception, folks, it begins early. Uh, you know, they, uh, they seduce children uh, at a very young age. It begins very early. You know, right, you know, I mean, infant baptism, if you look at the counterfeit, new birth of the Church of Rome, item number 1250. It says, born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have need of the new birth in baptism to be freed from the power of darkness and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in infant baptism. The church and the parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after birth. So that's the teaching of Rome. They teach, you know, when, when that priest comes, you know, I was baptized as an infant in a Roman Catholic church. Oh, yes, I was. So here the priest, yeah, I don't remember it, but I know this is what they do at baptism. Uh, they, they come with a little brass wand and they sprinkle the water on you and that's it. You know, that you become a child of God? Absolutely not, folks. You know, the Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. I can't believe the God. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> to this day, I, I don't remember that. You see, I wasn't born again. There was no new birth that took place in my heart. How do I know? Because I knew when the true new birth happened when I was 36 years old. I repented. I believed the Lord Jesus Christ. I believed the gospel. I was born again of the Spirit. The lights went on. I was like, whoa. I've been deceived my whole life. You see that? So this counterfeit new birth, folks, they grab the children, I mean, right shortly after coming out of the womb. My, oh my. So, you know, when you think of the first communion that uh, the Roman Catholic uh, children go to, I did that first communion. You're, you know, the, you dress up, if I remember correctly, you dress up in a white suit and if you were a lady, uh, you had a, a white dress and, and the whole bit. You see, it gives this impression that you're uh, that you're clean, okay? That you're that, that this is life, but anything but. So you're receiving your first communion from the very small age, folks, uh, a young age, all right? And you, you're being taught that that wafer host is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So from a youngster, that's what you're taught. So when you go to Mass in the whole nine yards, you, you, you see the transubstantiation, you're being told, this is Jesus Christ. It is not Jesus Christ. It is a counterfeit Christ. I hope you see this. This is the counterfeit gospel of the Church of Rome. Absolutely. And, and that, um, I'll put a monstrance up on the screen there. I've shown this uh, before. Uh, that monstrance in, in the center of that uh, that whole brass thing that you see, that sunburst design, in in the circle there, that's a host. It's a it's a 
wafer host. And they believe that that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what they teach. And they have it in that big thing. It shows the royalty. They believe that's Christ. Oh, yes, they do. Don't ever forget that. So, you know, if I, if I were to tell you, you know, that I could change a piece of bread into Jesus Christ, you would laugh at me. You know, in New York City, they, uh, you, you know, a lot of times you come across people will be selling watches, you know, and telling you they're expensive watches, maybe like an Omega watch, and you can get it for $20 or something or whatever. I've seen it happen on the street. I remember seeing a man, he must have just bought a watch, and he went up to the uh, person who was selling it, and he wanted his money back. And, and the guy selling the watch says, get out of here. You're not getting your money back. You see, that's, that's the way uh, deception works. Well, There's a lot of con artists, okay? Now, if you saw another man a block away in New York City in Times Square, and, and he had a little uh, wafer host and told you, look, I can change this wafer host into Jesus Christ. You would laugh at him. You would laugh at him. But, you know, that's what's done at the Roman Catholic Mass in transubstantiation. They're teaching you if you're a Catholic, that that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ after the consecration part of the Catholic Mass. So uh, that is the teaching, folks. And, you know, in the uh, catechism growing up, you know, the Baltimore Catechism, you know, if you look in the book on page 173, Lesson 27, Item 361, you know, it talks about the purposes of the Mass, and in that section, if you look at the fourth purpose of the Mass, it says to satisfy the justice of God for the sins committed against him. In other words, every time a Catholic Mass is offered up, it's called the sacrifice of the Mass. That's exactly what it is. Every time that Catholic Mass is offered up by a priest or a bishop or a pope or a cardinal, okay, they believe that the, the justice of God is being satisfied by that Mass. Oh, yes, they do. In fact, if you don't believe that, you, you're under one of the curses that, that were pronounced at the Council of Trent, over 100 curses. That's one of them. So obviously, do I believe that? Of course not. So I'd be deemed a heretic by the Church of Rome. If you look in um, that same Baltimore Catechism, it says this, the Mass continues the sacrifice of the cross. Each time a Mass is offered, the sacrifice of Christ is repeated. A new sacrifice is not offered, but by divine power, one and the same sacrifice is repeated. You heard it for yourself, item number 359, lesson 27. So, you know, in fact, when you talk to Catholics sometimes, and, oh, no, oh, no, we don't repeat it. We, 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 we're just presenting it again. Oh, no, you, you, you were probably never a Catholic. Folks, I listened to this for, for the past 30 years when I witnessed the Catholics. This is, this is the Church of Rome. People are in bondage, okay? It says right here, this is their catechism. This has the imprimatur from, from the Vatican, folks, which means that everything that is in that book it has the approval of Rome, of the Church of Rome. So, you know, I'm just quoting to you right from their own teachings. So, you know, I was locked into this stuff. I was believing this stuff until the Lord set me free all the way back in 1989. I give him all the glory. Hallelujah. So, you know, my Bible tells me that it is finished. You'll find that in John chapter 19 
and verse 30, where Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, it's done for, folks. He paid the price. If you look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, it says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So that, that, that passage right there shuts down the Roman Catholic teaching uh, of the sacrifice of the Mass, okay? This was referring to uh, comparing the Old Testament sacrifices where the priest would uh, offer up the same sacrifices that could not take away sins and comparing it to the sacrifice of Christ who offered one sacrifice and he sat down on the right hand of God. It's good to know, folks, that Jesus sat down. It's done. The Catholic priest, you'll see them on a daily basis, several times a day all over the world. Uh, think about the thousands upon thousands of Catholic Masses that are being offered up, the sacrifice of the Mass, over and over and over and over and over again. You don't need that, folks. Oh, no. So, you know, the, the, the true sacrifice of Christ, folks, it, it happened at a, a certain point in time. It was a prophesied point in time. Jesus paid the price. It cannot be repeated again. Oh, no, you cannot repeat it, folks. So when you think of all of this, the, the, what they call the Blessed Sacrament, that's the, that's the, uh, the, the way for host efforts after the consecration, transubstantiation. When you think of the unbiblical priesthood, you know, uh, calling him the Holy Father, you think about the confessional booth, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. You think about purgatory, where people will uh, make donations to have mass cards, okay? They, they, they'll go to the, the local priest, to the parish, to the rectory, and, and they'll make a donation for a mass card to, to have a, a mass offered up for their dead relative, uncles, aunts, moms, and dads. Uh, you know, they'll do this year after year. And and think about all of the millions of people making offerings of five, whatever, ten dollars for, for for a mass card, so that Uncle Charlie could get out of purgatory quicker. Think of the billions of dollars. My oh my, the billions of dollars that are taken in over the years, over the centuries, folks. It's incredible, folks. It is absolutely incredible. Think about the idolatry of the Church of Rome. Think of all the graven images that are all over the place to, that they will try to write off and say, oh, no, we don't really do this. This really doesn't... L listen, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. This is the second commandment. It says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Wow. I never knew that. <laughs> I never knew that, folks. You know, reading that in my Catholic catechism, I thought the second commandment was, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You'll find that in item 195 in, in that same catechism, the Baltimore Catechism. So you say, wait a second, what happened? Well, the true uh, 
the second commandment, as I said, I, I just read it to you. You say, well, then it'd only be nine. Well, here's what they did. <laughs> it's unbelievable stuff, folks. They took the true 10th commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Now, let me read that for you right now. It says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Okay, so you say, okay. So what they did, they made two commandments out of that one commandment. It's only one verse. And they made it, here's your ninth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And then the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So you remember that if you're a Roman Catholic. So there's two commandments when it's only supposed to be one. And the reason they did that, because they removed the real second commandment. You see that? So, so now, you, you know, the average Catholic who don't read the Bible, they, they train up their children, go to catechism, and then you have these churches that are filled with their statues and everything else, folks. Idolatry. And then the Bible speaks out, you know, you can search the scriptures and go to Isaiah chapter 44, read about graven images and how God abhors them. Read Psalm 115, 115 folks. You'll, you'll, you'll see how it's all idolatry. But you're not going to hear it put that way. You're hearing the truth from a former Roman Catholic. Serious business is what it is, folks. Right now, I'm going to look at some of the people who stood against Rome. Okay, We'll look at some of the martyrs uh, that gave their lives, laid down their lives, and uh, were brutally killed because they stood against the Church of Rome. They, they did it, and, and they were chased down. <laughs> they, they were hunted. Oh, yes, they were hunted. Some were killed, some were not. If you look at the man, John Wycliffe, uh, he lived from 1328 to 1384. He was a man that stood against Rome. He didn't believe in the Catholic Eucharist. He refused to believe that the Church of Rome was the head of all other churches. He refused to believe that Peter had more power than any of the other apostles. He didn't believe in the Catholic uh, confessional. Now, while he was not... Uh, brutally killed like the others. He was severely persecuted. Oh, yes, he was. It was unbelievable, actually. You know, it, it's amazing that one of the Roman Catholic councils, it's called the Council of Constance. That's what they do. They call councils. <laughs> and they declared this guy, uh, Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, to be a heretic on May 4th, 1415. The guy's long dead, okay? So they're, they're having a council and says, he's a heretic. And, and they banned his writings because he wrote many uh, different things. So basically, they excommunicated him retroactively. And basically, they say he was a, a forerunner of Protestantism. So they decreed that Wycliffe's, uh, Wycliffe's work should be burned and his bodily remains removed from consecrated ground. Can you imagine this? So this order confirmed by Pope Martin V, it was carried out in 14... 28. Wycliffe's corpse was exhumed and burned and the ashes cast into the River Swift, which flows through Lutterworth. Now, this is unbelievable stuff, folks. So here's over 40 years later, after this guy died, they exhumed the body. They take the bones out of, of the, the casket or the box, whatever he was buried in. They, they burn the bones and they take the ashes from those bones and they threw it into the river Swift. 
Is this unbelievable stuff, folks? This shows you the vindictiveness, the hatred, the darkness of the system of Roman Catholicism. That is demonic. If ever anything was called demonic, that is. This is a man of God that was standing for truth. The devil hates the truth. Don't ever forget that. Another man, John Huss, he lived from 1370 to 1415. He also spoke out against the Church of Rome, all the same things, Eucharist, indulgences, and so on. And um, he was also uh, put to death, ladies and gentlemen. The Council of Constance, uh, they wanted him to be there. Uh, presenting his views on the dissension within the church. When he arrived, he was immediately arrested, put in prison. He was eventually taken in front of the council and asked to recant his views. In other words, uh, recant what you're saying. Turn back to Rome. You ever hear that saying? Return, come home to Rome. Come home to Mother Church, okay? So this is what he said. I would not for a chapel of gold retreat from the truth. When he refused, he was put back in prison on the 6th of July, 1415. He was burned at the stake for heresy against the doctrines of the Catholic Church. He could be heard singing psalms as he was burning. Among his dying words, Huss predicted that God would raise others whose calls for reform would not be suppressed. This was later taken as a prophecy about Martin Luther, who was born 68 years after Huss's death. So think about this now. Here's a guy refusing to believe the Catholic teachings. He, he, he revolted against it. Rome said, look, recant. He refused to do it. What did they do? They burned a human being at the stake. Think about this. Think about this now. These, these are men in the older regal robes and what have you. You got the Pope, you got cardinals, you got bishops. You would think that, hey, you, do you think that we're doing the right thing? You think this is the Lord? You think we're being led by the Holy Spirit? No, they couldn't do that because they didn't have the Spirit, folks. They were children of the devil. They were doing their father's business. And they took this man of God and they burnt him at the stake. Can you imagine watching another human being burned? Can you imagine this, folks? The darkness, how evil this system is, folks? This is unbelievable stuff, yet it happened. Many times over, folks, many times over. Martin Luther, remember him, how he revolted against indulgences? You know, he was outraged when a man by the name of John Tetzel went preaching in the towns and villages throughout Germany, raising money for the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He was peddling indulgences with the approval of Pope Leo X. And he was providing them with a false hope beyond the grave. And it was a money chest that this man carried around, okay? And he had written on, on the front of that chest, as soon as the coin and the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Wow. Folks, you know what that is? That is spiritual fraud at its worst. Purgatory this place called Purgatory, it does not exist. It's a make-believe place. This is what I grew up with, Purgatory. You get these mass cards that Father Jones might offer up a, a, a sacrifice of the mass for your relative 
that you might believe is in purgatory so that they could get out quicker. We got to go how the Catholic Mass said. Darkness, folks. There is no purgatory. No purgatory. Does not exist, never existed. Jesus spoke about salvation, damnation, heaven or hell. Never did he mention a place called purgatory. It is from the pit of hell. Indulgences, folks. You know, then it's not done the same way, but, you know, even the latest uh, Pope Francis, he offered indulgences for, for the youth who would uh, participate in activities at Catholic World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, in late 2013. Oh, yes. Incredible. You know, even uh, if you follow the events on television, radio, or by the new means of social media, including Twitter. Yeah, so, if you, you know, if you're following the Pope's tweets, you could be eligible for these uh, uh, these indulgences. This is in, this is insanity, folks. You see, glory to God! I came out of this system. I am saved. This is where I'm shouting the warning. You know, the, the, Jesus said, "Narrow is the way, and straight, and few there be that find it." Folks, that's what he said. Few, only a few. Narrow is the way. Broad is the road that leadeth to destruction. Many there be that go in there. It's talking about hell. So, you know, when I'm preaching here today, I, I know there might be but a few that, that will receive what I'm saying and the Holy Ghost will, will, will move upon your heart and you'll say, uh, this man is speaking the truth. And you call upon the Lord, ask him to save you and he will save you. So if you're young, if you're old, it doesn't matter. Call upon the Lord. Even as I'm uh, speaking to you right now, call upon the Lord, ask him to save your so, so Martin Luther, what he said, he says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Hallelujah. That's powerful. So, um, you know, Jesus said this in John chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. He said, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service, and these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Now that uh, scripture passage that was spoken by uh, Jesus Christ himself, that applies perfectly to the Church of Rome. They murdered people, some say by the millions, I believe that, murdered people by the millions because they thought they were doing God's work and they didn't even know God themselves. Can you imagine this? Folks, the Church of Rome. Another uh, one who stood against the Church of Rome, Michael Sattler. Oh, yes. You can find this in Martyr's Mirror. In fact, I uh, watched a video called The Radicals where they uh, feature this man, Michael Sattler, and, you know, and how he was killed. And, you know, Right before uh, Mr. Michael Sattler was killed, along with his wife, you know, they, they had to convene. They wanted to see what type of sentence he was going to 
get for standing against the false doctrines of Rome. And this is what was decided. It said, in the case of the governor of his imperial majesty versus Michael Sattler, judgment is passed that Michael Sattler shall be delivered to the executioner who shall lead him to the place of execution and cut out his tongue, then throw him upon a wagon and there tear his body twice with red hot tongs. And after he has been brought without or outside the gate, he shall be pinched five times in the same manner. After this had been done in the manner prescribed, he was burned to ashes as a heretic. His fellow brethren were executed with the sword and the sisters, meaning the ladies, drowned. His wife also, after being subjected to many entreaties, admonitions, and threats, under which she remained very steadfast, was drowned a few days afterwards, and that was done the 21st day of May in 1527. Now, folks, think about that. You want to talk about darkness? This is so dark. It's, it's incredible. Evil that you could uh, put a man through such torture, cut out his tongue, I mean, and, and throw him to the flames. Do you think that Jesus is in that? Of course not. These were children of the devil, putting to death the true people of God, people who were born again of the Spirit, people who knew the Lord in truth. They knew the Lord Jesus Christ in truth. So it's a battle of darkness against light, children of darkness against the children of the light, people who truly knew the Lord. That's what it was all about, folks. That's what the Reformation was all about. They believed they had the right to do what they were doing. Another one, William Tyndale, lived from 1494 to 1536. He stood against Rome. He stood against their false gospel. One day, he, uh, Tyndale met a man who told him this. He says, we were better to be without God's laws than the popes. And after Tyndale heard this, he says, full of godly zeal and not bearing that blasphemous saying, replied, I defy the pope and all his laws and added that if God spared him life, Ere many years, he would cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scripture than he did. I say glory to God. That's exactly uh, what took place, folks. You can say he was prophesying. You know, Tyndale, he was a linguist. He was a Bible scholar. And he had his own translation. And Tyndale's translation of the Bible was used for subsequent English translations, including the Great Bible and the Bishop's Bible, authorized by the Church of England. In 1611, after seven years of work, the 47 scholars who produced the King James Version drew extensively from Tyndale's original work and other translations that descended from his. One estimate suggests that the New Testament in the King James Version is 83% Tyndale's words, and the Old Testament 76%. Wow. That's, in, that's incredible. So here's this guy. All he wanted to do, folks, was translate the Bible, get it into the hands of the common people. And he became the enemy of Rome. You see? Now remember how he started this part talking about the supremacy of Rome, where they believe that the Holy Father, the Pope, the vicar of Christ on earth, who they believe he is, he alone can interpret the scriptures. Do you see that? So here, here is a true man of God. He knew this. That was nothing but 
gibberish. He knew it. He had, he had the Holy Ghost. He was saved. And they, so he's on the run now, folks. And, and they were going after people like this because they look at him as a heretic. And unfortunately, this man was betrayed by uh, a man by the name of Henry Phillips. And uh, they grabbed hold of him. You know, the story is, I believe it was in Antwerp. And um, there's this man, Phillips. You know, they were going to go out to have lunch together. And they were walking uh, around and there were many narrow alleys and it would only be able to fit one, you know, man at a time, single file. So, you know, when they came upon this one narrow alley, uh, Tyndale, you know, basically motioned to uh, Mr. Phillips, you know, you go first. And so Mr. Phillips says, oh, no, no, you go first. And so uh, Tyndale, he went first and they're walking down his alley. And as they got near the uh, end of the alley at the other end, uh, upon the other street, uh, Tyndale, you know, noticed that there were two officers waiting there. And he, he, he backed up a little because he, he saw what was happening. And um, this man, Phillips, who betrayed him like a Judas, pointed, you know, put his arm over his head and pointed down. This is the man you want. And they grabbed hold of him. Long story short, he was he was taken in. And it says Tyndale was strangled to death while tied at the stake. And then his dead body was burned. His final words spoken at the stake with a fervent zeal and a loud voice were reported as, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Wow. So once again, another man's put to death, ladies and gentlemen, for simply standing for the word of God. And look, look, you know, I read the King James Bible today, folks. I thank God. Thank God for people like William Tyndale. I have that book in my hands that I can turn from page to page because of the sacrifice of people such as William Tyndale and many others. That they stood for truth. And we cannot forget them. We always remember that, folks. Remember these people. Two other people, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, these two uh, men of God, they were burnt back to back at the stake. Think about this. Killed by the Church of Rome. Oh, yes. And this is what Latimer said to his buddy, uh, Nicholas Ridley. Here they are tied, ready to be lit up on fire. And he said this, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. Hallelujah. Folks, I hope you appreciate these people, what they did, how they stood for the truth. They stood for the truth, ladies and gentlemen. You know, the Church of Rome, uh, one of their well-known uh, people, Thomas Aquinas, he, he said this in the Summa Theologica, volume 4, page 90. He said, though heretics must not be tolerated because they deserve it, we must bear with them till by a second admonition they may be brought back to the faith of the church. But those who, after a second admonition, remain obstinate to their errors must not only be excommunicated, but they must be delivered to the secular power to be exterminated. Can you believe that, folks, what you just heard? This is the teaching of Rome, folks. This is why you had the Roman Catholic Inquisition Children of the devil putting the true men of God, women of God too, that stood against their teachings, put
putting them to death right here. Exterminate them. It's, it sounds like, you know, you get pest control, you exterminate the pests. This is what they do. They kill people because you don't follow. You don't follow the supremacy of the Pope. You do not believe that they are the true church of God. You see that? Oh, yes. And keep in mind, folks, the doctrines of Roman Catholicism today, in our modern day, are exactly the same as they were back then. Keep that in mind. Well, I will talk more about that in part three. The doctrines of Roman Catholicism today are the same as they were back then. These people stood, but in our modern day, they join with this church. Don't ever forget that. So uh, keep in mind, folks, you know, these people, they stood, they stood for the truth. And what you have was another council. You know, Rome calls a lot of councils. They believe they're it. They believe they, they, they're the true church. They believe that the Pope is the vicar of Christ. He, they believe that he's the Holy Father. Thank God I'm not in that system anymore. So that same Council of Trent, they have over 100 anathemas pronounced against people that don't believe the doctrines of Rome, including, as I said, the Eucharist and many other things. Uh, you're under a curse if you don't believe it. So all of that came from the Council of Trent, which was basically a response to the Protestant Reformation. And uh, the next person I will be looking at is more closer to our time. It's uh, a man by the name of Charles Shinneke. He was a Roman Catholic priest for 25 years. He was in the system of Roman Catholicism for 50 years, but he was a priest for 25 of those years. So I want to give you just a little background on, on this man, uh, Mr. Shinneke. As I said, he, uh, he was 50 years in the Church of Rome. Uh, 25 years uh, of that 50, he was a Roman Catholic priest. So this guy... Uh, I mean, he heard confessions, he did the Roman Catholic Mass, he served communion just like any other uh, Catholic priest for years, folks. I mean, that's a long time. That is a very long time uh, to be a priest. And then the Lord set him free. You know, he became famous, by the way, uh, because of the uh, conflict with his own uh, leadership and, and eventually obviously he got saved he left the Catholic Church so what I'm going to do here as I've done before I want to take a look at some New York Times articles here I do this for a, a reason for a purpose just to show you that this guy was solid he was legit because when you deal uh, anytime when you're coming against the Church of Rome folks they go after you and this man went through it folks so uh, I'm just going to start I'm going to start here uh, uh, with an article from January 17th, 1899. I'll just give you uh, uh, 1899 from the New York Times. And it says, Father Shinneke is dead. As an apostle of temperance, his fame reached the Pope's ears once defended by Abraham Lincoln. Oh, yes. So isn't that interesting, folks? This man uh, was once defended by Abraham Lincoln. Why? Because uh, uh, Mr. Shinneke was in controversy, and they were coming after him. There, there was false charges that were uh, brought against him. And uh, this man, 
uh, was defended. Don't forget that. He was defended by Abraham Lincoln. This is the guy, uh, the man, I should say, uh, that became president of the United States of America. Can you imagine this? We know that Abraham Lincoln was a lawyer. He's called Honest Abe. Okay, so we know that this, uh, this priest, Shinneke, he, he, got the, he got a good lawyer for himself. So, you know, uh, we'll get back to that in a little bit. So anyway, back to this New York Times uh, in 1858, ladies and gentlemen, l let's look at this. Uh, we see a personal in, in, in the uh, New York Times. It says, the Reverend Mr. Shinneke, the celebrated Canadian priest, has become converted to Protestantism. On Sunday the 22nd, he declared in a public meeting in the courthouse at Kankakee, Illinois, that he separates himself from the Romish church to follow the religion of the Bible. That makes my heart leap, folks. You know, it's so good to hear a person, you know, the, when, when the lights come on, you know, they're, they're being set free, they're being truly born again of the Spirit. And what is the natural progression? You leave. That's it. You leave that church. That's what I did, folks. When the Lord set me free, I left. Now, I never took out a personal in the New York Times because I wasn't, I wasn't known. I didn't have a church like, like this man had. I mean, so it was a good thing he did that. This man was bold. And he was bold for a reason. He wanted to let people, he left that church. So we see like a progression after he came out of that um, system. Let's go now. Uh, another article. This is from 1859. It says here, this was July 11th, 1859. Also the New York Times. And it talks about Father Shinneke at the Cooper Institute. His difficulty with the Catholics of Illinois. I'll just read a couple of lines. This is the Reverend Father Shinneke, formerly of the Church of Rome, whose persecution by the Catholics in Illinois has rendered him famous. And he preached two sermons at the Cooper Institute. So uh, what we see here, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this man, he got saved, okay? Glorious salvation. Read his book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome. Uh, it's, it's a great book because it tells the truth. And he, he gets saved, so now he, what does he do? He ends up preaching the word of God, and he, he wants other uh, people to get saved. That's the natural progression. You get saved. I was born again, folks. I mean, prior to being born again, I had no desire to tell people about Jesus. But when I was saved, it burned in my heart, folks. I mean, I started going out in the streets, handing out tracts, preaching the word on the, on the streets. This is the natural progression. Why? Because you know that something dramatic happened. You're born again of the Spirit. That's how a person becomes a Christian, by the way. If you're out there today and you've never been born again of the Spirit, the biblical way, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. You're lost. You're still dead in your sins. Oh, yes. And, 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 and Roman Catholic, you're taught that you're born again when you're baptized as an infant. It's not true. You are not born again at infant baptism. You need to know that. I tell you these things because I love you. So let's go now. 1882, also New York Times, January 19th, 1882. We see a story here. It says, a former French Catholic priest, the Reverend Father Charles Shinneke, who was known as the Canadian Luther, was to have told or speak at St. Paul's Church. This is in New York City, 22nd Street and 4th Avenue last evening, why he left the Church of Rome, but an attack of sickness confined him to his apartments. 
The Reverend Father P. A. Seguin, formerly a French Catholic priest whom Father Shinnecke converted to Protestantism a year and a half ago, spoke in his place. Father Seguin was a priest for 14 years and said that after Father Shinnecke converted, 15 other priests. Now, now, that's powerful. So here we have Father Shinnecke got sick. So somebody had to speak uh, for him. Do you notice that he was known as the Canadian Luther? Wow. This guy came from Canada. He ended up coming to the States. Uh, so he is in Illinois. Uh, this is where the revival took place after he got saved. But I like how they called him the Canadian Luther. He wasn't afraid to speak out against his former church because he, he knew it was wicked. You read the book for yourself. This man didn't hold back anything. So uh, you, you need to know this because he came right out of the heart of the system. He was a Roman Catholic priest. So he was supposed to speak. He got sick. Somebody else spoke. And here's a guy uh, by the name of the Reverend Father P.A. Seguin, formerly a French Catholic priest. So he got converted under Shinnecke's ministry. Isn't that awesome? And he, and he went on to talk about that there were 15 other priests that were converted under that same uh, ministry by Shinnecke. That's powerful. That's good fruit, folks, you see? So Shinnecke couldn't hold it back, and what he would do, he would start preaching to his fellow priests. Thank God. Look at this. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, when you're entrenched in, in something like the Church of Rome, the bondage that goes with that and all the years of training under that uh, man-made tradition, to, to have even one priest come out is a big deal, folks. But here... Uh, 15 priests, other priests were converted. Totally awesome. Let's go also New York Times. We're going now to 1884. Keep in mind, I mean, uh, you look back how many years have gone by since this guy came out, but here he is still plodding down God's highway. Hallelujah. I mean, 1884, November 7th, 1884. Look what it says here. Father Shinnecke mobbed. The Roman Catholics of Montreal prevent him from lecturing. I'll just read a little here. Father Shinnecke, the ex-priest, was announced to lecture in Russell Hall in this city last night. The hall was packed with an audience consisting mostly of his opponents, while outside was gathered a mob of about 2,000. The proceedings were constantly interrupted, and soon after the lecturer began to speak, the audience refused to let him proceed, and the utmost confusion followed. Men stood on the seats in windowsills, howling derisively whenever the speaker attempted to make himself heard. So, this is awesome, folks. So, this is normal, by the way. When you get saved, folks, you could be out on the street preaching, you're witnessing to people, uh, you're dealing with spiritual warfare. The enemy of your souls, the devil and his children, do not like the truth of God's word. The light of the word of God exposes the darkness that is inside them. And often, many times, the people are literally demon-possessed. That's a fact that is the truth. So uh, what you see here is this man, he's advancing the kingdom of God. He's preaching the word. It's light exposing darkness. And the children of the devil, the, the Roman Catholic souls who are uh, unaware that they're unsaved, 
They're, they're bucking this man. They won't even allow him to talk. Why? Because the man was speaking the truth. He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember what happened when Jesus and the disciples preached. They were opposed by the unsafe religious Jewish people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and everything else. They, they, they were unsafe people. They were never born again. So when Jesus came, arrived on the scene, they didn't want to hear it. It was light exposing darkness. So that's what took place here. So this man, folks, he, I mean, he uh, went through it. I mean, he totally went through it. The persecution that this man suffered was incredible. In fact, as I said, you know, before he uh, actually went on the road, I told you that he was represented in, the, in uh, different court cases. Uh, Honest Abe Lincoln was his lawyer, and uh, Abe Lincoln actually told him at one point in time he's never seen anybody so persecuted as he. And, uh, you know, when he, when he secured the services of Abraham Lincoln, he let Lincoln know, you know, he says, you know, I really, you don't know me, I don't know you, and... Um, this is what I need. Somebody recommended you to be my lawyer. They told they told me you're a good lawyer and so on and so forth. And and Abraham Lincoln says, you know, told uh, Mr. Shinneke, I'll be more than happy to represent you. And ultimately, he told him, he says, you know, I do know you. He was following all the all the workings that were going on against uh, Shinneke uh, by the authorities of the Roman Catholic Church. And he knew he knew everything that was going on. So when Shinneke contacted him. I think he telegraphed him. Uh, Abe Lincoln was very well aware of who he was. Can you imagine this? What a, what a great thing that took place there, that he had this honest lawyer, honest Abe Lincoln, to represent him. Totally awesome when you think about it. So that's how Abraham Lincoln came to work uh, as this man's uh, representative in the courtrooms. And it was uh, lies being told about Mr. Shinneke, slanders, and ultimately, Mr. Shinneke got the victory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So right now, we're going to take a look at the uh, Roman Catholic Eucharist. And keep in mind that Mr. Shinneke was a Roman Catholic priest for 25 years. So now he's going to give you his feelings about the Roman Catholic Eucharist. Listen carefully. Now, if you look at the uh, the teaching of the Eucharist, this is basically the center of the Roman Catholic Gospel. And um, uh, Mr. Shinneke, don't forget, he's writing as a uh, former priest of 25 years. And he, he obviously now he realizes that what he believed was not true. Now, here's um, what he said also in that book. And he's talking in, in the chapter where he dealt, uh, talking about the First Communion and how a child is trained up at a very young age to believe that that little wafer host is, is basically God Almighty, Jesus Christ, uh, body, soul, divinity, and so on. So he says here, has there ever been or will there ever be a priest or a layman to believe what the Church of Rome teaches on this dreadful mystery of the real presence? Shall I say that I believed in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the communion? 
I believed in it as all those who are good Roman Catholics believe. I believed as a perfect idiot or a corpse believes. Whatever is essential to a reasonable act of faith had been destroyed in me on that point, as it is destroyed in every priest and layman in the Church of Rome. My reason as well as my external senses had been as much as possible sacrificed at the feet of that terrible martyr God the Pope. I had been guilty of the incredibly foolish act of which all good Roman Catholics are guilty. So that's a heavy statement that uh, Mr. Charles Shinneke, this former priest, made right there. Uh, and don't forget he's writing now after he came out of that system. So uh, obviously when he uh, received his first communion as I did, uh, he, he didn't have that knowledge as I did not either. So um, it's, it's a whole different picture when you can see with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of Truth, it gives you the understanding. And Mr. Shinneke goes on to say, Reader, please have no contempt for the unfortunate priest and people of Rome, but pity them. When you see them walking in the ways into which intelligent beings ought not to take a step, they cannot help it. The ring of the ox is at their nose, and the Pope holds the end of the rope. Had it not been for that ring, I would not have been long at the feet of the wafer god of the Pope. And in that same book, you know, Mr. Shinneke, uh, you know, he told uh, several different stories of different instances where he should have had the uh, light, uh, the, the spiritual light to leave the church, but he didn't. He told about a, a, a blind priest uh, named Father Dole, D-A-U-L-E, who uh, was only allowed to say Catholic Masses on certain instances by the very uh, fact that he was blind. And on one of those instances, he couldn't find the, the host. It was up there on the altar, but something happened. He couldn't find it. And he started to get a little panicky, and, and you know, one of the workers came to uh, Charles Shinneke and told him what was happening. So basically, Mr. Shinneke, you know, put two and two together, and the place, the parsonage where they were, obviously was infested with a lot of rats, and bold rats is the way he described them. And he put two and two together because they would bake these, um, these uh, wafers right there, and the smell of the fresh bread often attracted these rats. And long story short, uh, Mr. Shinneke came to the conclusion that the rats had got to that wafer host. And he tried to tell the priest that, and, and the priest couldn't believe what was happening. And, and he, was, he was inconsolable. And it got to the point that uh, Mr. Shinneke just basically you know, had to like, tell him, listen, we, we got to stop this. Then at one point, Mr. Shinneke said this, he says, and to give you plainly my own mind, I'll tell you here that if I were God Almighty and a miserable rat would come to eat me, I would strike him dead before he could touch me. Basically, he's saying, if, if that was me, uh, that, that rat was history. <laughs> so, so, so you see, uh, Mr. Shinneke is getting the light and, you know, he's starting to see how could a rat eat God, okay? It doesn't fit. So Shinneke goes on to say, great and new lights had flashed through my soul in that hour. Evidently, my God wanted to open my eyes to the awful absurdities and impieties of a religion whose God could be dragged and eaten by rats. So, uh, you know, the 
the teaching of the real presence obviously continues to this very day. As I said, this is the very center of the gospel of the Roman Catholic Church. So here we are now in part three. So we went over uh, the people that stood against Rome, the people who were killed, they were martyred for the sake of the gospel. So those folks, they knew the word of God, and that's why they opposed the system of Roman Catholicism. You know, I often wonder what it was like for those uh, precious souls as they were dying, you know, the, the even leading up to the point of death, you know, what it was like, what, what it was like for them to go through such a uh, thing. You know, uh, there, there was another one uh, before I get into the uh, main part of this part, uh, a woman by the name of Anne Askew. She lived from 1521 to 1546, and she was killed by the Church of Rome. Think about this. She was only 25 years old, and she opposed all the same things that those other people uh, opposed, you know, mainly the Catholic Eucharist, transubstantiation. And, you know, many times the people of Rome, they were urging her to recant of her beliefs. And one of those encounters was with a person who did recant, and his name was Nicholas Shaxton. And this is what uh, Anne Askew said to that man. Uh, then came there to me Nicholas Shaxton and counseled me to recant as he had done. I said to him that it had been good for him never to have been born. Wow. So that's from Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, page 332. You know, I think of Charles Shinnegan, who I also spoke about in the uh, last section. You know, he was severely persecuted also. Now, he wasn't martyred, he wasn't burnt at the stake, but uh, he was severely persecuted by his own account. He said there were over 30 public attempts on his life because of his stand. Oh, yes. So, so much for Christian unity. But that man, uh, an amazing revival took place uh, in his church. Keep in mind, he was a Roman Catholic priest for 25 years, so this was a Catholic church. But... The beautiful thing is that his church, I think it was just over a thousand people, they all turned to Christ. And it was all because of the precious word of God that was preached to those people. Isn't that awesome? So I want you to remember, ladies and gentlemen, that the doctrines of Rome, they are still the same today as they were back then in the time of the Reformation, in the time of this man, Shinneke, who uh, died in 1899. Same thing, same teachings, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, that's why I'm going into these uh, particular people who joined with Rome, who worked with Rome. It's important that you know uh, these things, folks. So uh, let's start here. Billy Graham is the first one I'm going to uh, look at here. And this man, Billy Graham, he went from calling the Roman Catholic Church one of the three gravest menaces faced by Christianity, he said that in 1948, to use in Roman Catholics as counselors and altar workers at his crusades. Now, the other two menaces uh, were uh, communism and Mohammedanism. Uh, those were the other ones, you know, the three gravest menaces. So Billy Graham, he's basically a perfect example of how a person can be seduced by the doctrines of devils that the Apostle Paul warned us about in 1 Timothy 4.1. 1. 
the PBS series God in America spoke about Billy Graham also. It says the newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst, Hearst was a Roman Catholic, instructed his editors to puff Graham by covering his crusade favorably and often. Graham made banner headlines and soon landed on the cover of Time magazine. The popularity of his Los Angeles crusade and the positive media treatment propelled him into the American mainstream. So once again, that's from God in America, a PBS uh, document there. So we see when a person gets into the mainstream, you know, folks, anything can happen. So uh, that's what took place. Uh, let me quote now from a book called The Legacy of Billy Graham, subtitled The Accommodation of Truth to Error in the Evangelical Church. So uh, this was written by a man by the uh, name of Brad K. Giselle. Okay, so he said Protestant Church Life, published by the Protestant Council of New York, which sponsored Graham's New York Crusade, carried the following words in its September 29, 1956 edition. Dr. Graham said, we're coming to New York, not to clean it up, but to get people to dedicate themselves to God and then send them back to their own churches, Catholics, Protestant, or Jewish. The San Francisco News of November 11, 1957, carried a similar report. Anyone who makes a decision at our meetings is seen later and referred to a local clergyman, Protestant, Catholic, or Jewish. Now think about that. So here, you know, you have these crusade meetings. And, and so if a Roman Catholic uh, were to go and, you know, go up to the front to the altar call, so let's say a person's a Roman Catholic, they respond to the altar call, they are going to be sent right back to the Catholic Church that they might put down on their card. If it's a Jewish man, let's say his guy named Irving or something, and he responds to the altar call, you know, he wants to receive Christ, they're going to take that man and send him back to his Jewish synagogue. Do you see, folks, we have a problem here. <laughs> you know, when people get saved, you minister to them. You know, if, if I'm a Roman Catholic, I need the, I need the gospel. I, I don't want to be sent back to my Catholic church. So, you know, in my case, when I was born again, <laughs> when I was born again, folks, I, I left the Catholic church. And, and keep in mind, you know, Jesus told his followers that, they, that they'd be thrown out of the synagogues. And, and here, the Graham organization, they are sending them back. Keep in mind that uh, Billy Graham, he's not alive anymore. So this was... Uh, happening back in 1956. He, he was in his late 30s, by the way, during this time. So let me quote some more from that book. It says, The inclusion of Catholics by Graham, which is by far the most prevalent among non-Protestant groups, has led to alarming attempts of uniting Catholicism and Protestantism. We are told that to work separately is a luxury we can no longer afford since anti-Christian forces are gaining power in the world. Before Billy Graham, the much-reported evangelicals and Catholics together, the Christian mission in the third millennium would have been clearly rejected by Christians everywhere. 
This document, engineered by Roman Catholic and new evangelical leaders in the Graham orbit, even calls on Catholics and evangelicals not to proselytize each other. What is this to mean to Bible-believing missionaries who have given their lives to the proclamation of the gospel to those who are bound by the traditions of Rome in other countries? The historic and vital differences are being obscured. Another effort is Promise Keepers, which has chosen breaking down the walls as its 1996 theme. It is clearly stated by its leaders that Roman Catholicism is to be accepted as a bona fide Christian church. Graham has given his glowing endorsement of Promise Keepers. So once again, that's from the book, The Legacy of Billy Graham, The Accommodation of Truth to Error in the Evangelical Church. That's by Brad K. Giselle. So very interesting, folks, when you hear things like this. So let's look at an example now of what takes place in the Graham organization. In fact, this still goes on today. This is from a book, Billy Graham in Rome by David Cloud. It says the Billy Graham Organizational Committee preparing for the November 2004 crusade in Los Angeles, California, promised the Roman Catholic Archdiocese that Catholics will not be proselytized. A letter from Cardinal Roger Mahoney dated October 6, 2004 and posted at the Archdiocese website stated, when the crusade was held in other lo locations, many Catholics responded to Dr. Graham's message and came forward for Christ. Crusade officials expect the same for the Los Angeles area. These officials have assured me that in keeping with Dr. Graham's belief and policy, there will be no proselytizing and that anyone identifying him or herself as Catholic will be referred to us for reintegration into the life of the Catholic Church. We must be ready to welcome them. So, you know, th that's incredible stuff when you uh, look at it, ladies and gentlemen, you know, what did Jesus say? You know, in fact, he said this after he rose from the dead. It says here in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now think about that. That's right from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. So no man on this earth has the uh, power to tell another man, another Christian, that they should not proselytize. Don't preach here. Don't do this. Don't do that. That that's absurd, and and clearly it's demonic. Okay, you know, and and that this is the way it works in in, in the uh, Billy Graham organization. Okay, listen to this. As a fairly new Christian, I that's me worked as a counselor along with my wife Kathy at the Billy Graham Crusade meeting in Central Park in 1991, that's in New York City, we had to undergo the regular sessions because we trained as counselors. We were participating in this uh, crusade that was going to take place. So we went to a church in Long Island City, uh, that's in Queens, and we trained. I think it was three separate weekends or something, or weekdays or something like that. And um, we trained to be counselors. And, and you know, when, when the rally came, the crusade, you know, Kathy, you know, what we would do, if somebody raised a hand, we'd go over there and, and give them a card to fill out, a decision card, I believe is what they call it. 
And uh, the lady filled out the card. She was a Roman Catholic. And, and that's right what's going to happen is they're going to send that woman right back to the church. Now, we should have known better, folks. In fact, you know, there was a Baptist pastor in Queens who warned us. We were handing out leaflets for this rally in 1991 in Central Park. And he was telling us, you know, Billy Graham, and he told us some things. And we, we heard some things. But you know what we did? We bought into the lingo. You know, we're just, we're just here to win souls and so on and so forth. We want to see people get saved. So... Uh, keep in mind, now, we were handing out Bible tracts. I believe we probably handed them out also uh, as we were doing this. But, you know, we, it's easy to buy into that lie. But when this happened with the decision card, uh, you know, my wife, Kathy, we both agreed later for this, we cannot participate in anything like this. This is definitely not the work of the Holy Ghost. To send somebody back to a Catholic church is absolutely uh, demonic folks and that that would apply even if, it, if it's a jewish person being sent back to a synagogue my oh my you preach the word you want to bring people to the truth and you're going to send them back to a system who rejects christ as the messiah they don't believe he's the son of god they don't believe he's the messiah they don't believe in the deity of christ my oh my so it, it's it's unbelievable actually here's another quote here it says here this is from a book, Smoke Screens by uh, Chick Publications. It says, a few years ago, five pastors from Mexico came to see me asking for help. They told me I must talk to Billy Graham. I told them that was impossible. I was just a little track publisher. Then they told me Billy Graham had destroyed their churches. They said he held a crusade and told all those who had received Christ to go back to their original churches and win those people to Christ. The pastors told me their people followed Billy's instruction and all went back to the Roman Catholic system. Twelve years of work destroyed in one night. Now, folks, that is incredible stuff. Here, these pastors, they're working, they're, 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 they want to see people saved. And Twelve years they're working, and along comes this crusade. And the very people that they're ministering to are being sent back to the Roman Catholic Church. And they obeyed Billy Graham instead of obeying the Word of God. This is what we're dealing with, folks. And uh, let me tell you something. You can bring this up to pastors and hear me now. They will defend Billy Graham before they defend the Word of God. Oh, yes, they will. This is the day we are living in. So the, the leaven, folks, of the false gospel of Rome, it has made great inroads. You know, there's a book that was written by uh, uh, Dr. Kathy Burns called Billy Graham and His Friends. Here's a quote from that book. It said, the original Haley's, this is talking about Haley's or Halley's Bible Handbook, okay? Um, the original Haley's up until the 22nd edition, 1959, warned about the Jesuits there are chapters about the Roman papacy and the Jesuits. According to Mrs. Halley, Mr. Halley spent years working on those chapters and never would have permitted the book to be changed. However, when he died, Billy Graham bought the rights and removed all the research and warning about the Jesuits in the editions Billy Graham printed. So once again, that's from Billy Graham and his friends, A Hidden Agenda, question mark by Dr. Kathy Burns. You'll find that in page four. 
40. So, folks, we're dealing with a system, uh, an evil political religious machine when we're dealing with the Roman Catholic Church because those uh, those words, you know, there, there were many pages in the back of uh, the the book, Halley's Bible hand, Handbook, uh, in the Crusade edition, which I bought a copy of just to make sure that, that this was true, they're all gone. They're not there. So the question is, why would you take all of those warnings about Rome out of the Crusade edition? Well, the answer is quite obvious because Billy Graham is working with the Catholic Church. He's using the Roman Catholics as counselors and altar workers. So if they're, they're going to be giving this handbook out, uh, talking about the evil church of Rome, it wouldn't gel too good. You see what I'm talking about, folks? So uh, that is what we are dealing with in this modern uh, time, this modern day. You know, Pope John Paul, you know, after he died, uh, Billy Graham, he made a statement and, and referred to Pope John Paul II as the most influential voice in 100 years. So here's a statement I uh, got this from CBN.com. It says, speaking on the April 2nd edition of CNN's Larry King Live program, Dr. Billy Graham said that Pope John Paul II was the most influential voice for morality and peace in the world in the last 100 years. Larry King asked Dr. Graham, did he actually say to you once, we are brothers? Billy Graham responded, that's correct. He certainly did. He held my hand the first time that I met him about 1981. He'd just been Pope for two years when I saw him first because when he was elevated to the papacy, I was preaching in his cathedral in Krakow that very day. And we had thousands of people in the streets. And watching the television today of Krakow has brought back many memories. So if you look on your screen, you'll see an image of Billy Graham eating with the Pope. Don't forget the Pope you know, met with him and told him we are brothers. This is the same Pope John Paul II, by the way, that referred to Bible-believing, born-again evangelical Christians in Brazil as rapacious wolves. Let me give you a quote here from um, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. It says, in his opening address to the Fourth General Conference of Latin American Bishops, which was held in the Dominican Republic in 1992, the normally ecumenical Pope John Paul II condemned Pentecostal and other sects, S-E-C-T-S, as rapacious wolves who are devouring Latin American Catholics and causing division and discord in our communities. So, you know, you know what was happening, folks? People were preaching the gospel to the Roman Catholics, and they were getting saved. They were hearing the word of God probably for the first time for many of them. And, and, and the Pope realized what was happening. So, so look at this. Here's the Pope calling those people rapacious wolves. So much for Christian unity. Do you see, folks? We, we have a battle of light and darkness. It's truth versus error. And, and this is why I'm bringing this forth to you. I want you to be aware, folks, of what has been going on for many decades that it's just so widely accepted now. The leaven has leavened the lump, and it's just about wholly leavened, <laughs> totally leavened right now, ladies and gentlemen. Let me play you a clip uh, from uh, 
a, a video that I had done previously regarding Kenneth Copeland and, and what happened to Pope spoke um, by video to Kenneth Copeland's congregation. And um, this is part of what went down when the Pope spoke. So I'm going to play that clip for you. Here's what else the Pope said. He says, and this is a miracle. The miracle of unity has begun. He went on to quote a man uh, with uh, the name of Manzoni. And, and he said, that man said, I've never seen God begin a miracle without him finishing it well. And then he went on to say, he will complete this miracle of unity. Now listen to that. I've never seen God begin a miracle without him finishing it. Well, there's only one problem, Pope Francis. God never began this miracle of unity between a, a system that preaches a false gospel and a Christian who preaches the true gospel. There can never be unity like that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Impossible. So uh, you see how people are seduced, folks? You see, it's the love trap. We're all one. We're all one. That, that's the devil's wine, folks. We're all one. Come together. We're all one. We're all one. Don't believe that lie, folks. And then the Pope ended his little video talk. He said, from brother to brother, I embrace you. Thank you. Listen to that. I'll say it again. From brother to brother, I embrace you. Thank you. And think about once again, Pope John Paul II grabbing Billy Graham. We are brothers. You see, we're not brothers. You're not brothers, folks. Uh, you can, if you think you're a brother with with the Church of Rome, then, then then I need to pray for you. You need to pray. You need to repent. This is some serious, unbelievable stuff, actually. Okay, so you you heard it. You know, here's the Pope calling for unity and and, and telling them everybody. Think about this: the whole congregation is is watching this. So so now you have this uh, Pope getting on, and, and and he's able to now enter the church. Look at that! How easy it is for him, and saying we are brothers, we are brothers, and and that's that's what we that's what we're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go take a look now at Franklin Graham. That's the son of uh, Billy Graham. Obviously, he's in charge of that organization now. This is a, a quote uh, that he had made. Listen carefully. This is Franklin Graham and con is continuing in his father's footsteps. He told the Indianapolis Star that his father's ecumenical alliance with the Catholic Church and all other denomination was one of the smartest things his father ever did. And that was from keeping it simple, safe, keeps Graham on high. Uh, Franklin Graham said, in the early years up in Boston, the Catholic Church got behind my father's crusade. That was a first. It took back many Protestants. They didn't know how to handle it. But it set the example. If Billy Graham is willing to work with everybody, then maybe we should too. That's the Indianapolis Star, June 3rd, 1999. Excerpts from wayoflife.org. So, you know, as I quote these uh, people, folks, keep in mind, they make no bones about it. I mean, they, they want this out there. Look, he's telling, look, my father had the right idea. That was one of the smartest things he ever did. Now, keep in mind, I speak to you as a former Roman Catholic. There's no question in my mind that the Roman Catholic Church preaches a counterfeit, soul-damning gospel. Totally different from the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved my 
soul. Let's take a look now at Louis Palau, sometimes referred to as the Latino Billy Graham. In fact, uh, by his own words, Palau said that he was mentored by Billy Graham. You know, in one interview with Christianity uh, Today, Louis Palau spoke very highly about uh, Jorge Bogoglia. That's the Pope's real name. Because he knew him, you know, they're both from that area, Argentina down there in South America. So, you know, a red flag obviously went up in my uh, spirit when he, when he said that. I read the article. So let, let me uh, show you something that took place at a uh, Louis Palau crusade in Omaha, Nebraska in 2007. You know what happened? The Palau crusade workers, they sought out the Roman Catholic Church to become involved with this crusade or festival, whatever it's called. So the Palau event organizers even welcomed the idea of Catholic priests hearing confessions at that event, and they were open to the possibility of having a Catholic tent set up to explain the Catholic faith. So this is an excerpt from that article by uh, Eric Raymond. It says, This weekend, an interesting article appeared in the Catholic Voice, a Catholic... Uh, based Omaha newspaper, that article outlined the admittedly strange partnership between the Omaha Catholic Diocese and the Louis Palau organizers. Archbishop Eldon Francis Curtis endorsed the event. This following a meeting between local priests who had spent time with leaders within Palau's organization. According to Catholic Voice, Father Ryan Lewis, Vice Chancellor and Ecumenical Officer for the Archdiocese, said local organizers approached the Archdiocese about including Catholics at the event, which has never been endorsed by a bishop until now. The festival organizers were open to Catholic input, he said. Father Ryan Lewis continues, they said they would do whatever they needed to do to formulate this festival in such a way that Catholics could participate. According to the Catholic Voice, as of now, festival planners have welcomed the idea of allowing local archdiocesan priests to hear confessions at the event, as well as the possibility of having a Catholic tent that would provide information on the Catholic faith. So, that, as I said, that was Mr. Eric Raymond who uh, wrote that. Now, look at this. Palau's July uh, 2007 festival in Omaha, Nebraska, was endorsed by Catholic Archbishop Eldon Curtis. Not only did the Catholic Archbishop address the crowd personally, but the Catholics were allowed to put up a tent at the entrance of the venue to distribute rosaries and Catholic material, and priests greeted the people as they entered the crusade grounds. Each participant filled out a card indicating religious background and all the cards stating Catholic were given to the Catholic churches for follow-up. And that's from the Catholic Voice, June 8th, uh, 2007. So it's a little mind-blowing when you hear stuff like this, but you haven't heard it all. <laughs> you know, uh, here's something that was written by uh, a man by the name of John Malone. And let's see what he had to say. He says, uh, John Malone wrote the following at BibleStudy.net. He said, Peter Smagas is 58 years old and glad to have left the Roman Catholic Church. He left it 35 years ago. I read an article sent to me that was published on Omaha's daily newspaper 
the Omaha World Herald that describes Smackers' one-man protest at a Louis Palau Heartland Festival in Omaha. The event was said to have attracted 105,000 visitors, a record. I suppose hyperbole, being what it is, the crowd was likely half that size, but still large. Smaggers passed out a track and his personal testimony, that along with his sign that read, Why I Left the Catholic Church, was his protest. He said for the most part he was well received. He was harassed by a Roman Catholic priest, but that fellow was made to stop. Most people gladly received his offer of his literature, but some Catholics cared to argue with him about John 6, perhaps the only scripture a Roman Catholic takes literally concerning eating the Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. Organizers of the Palau event had Smagas moved off the event grounds. These same organizers arranged for a large Roman Catholic tent on the premises where Roman Catholic literature was freely passed out, rosaries handed out or sold, I do not know which, and Roman Catholic priests were hearing confessions throughout both days. The tent, with confessions being heard, was a requirement by the Roman Catholics locally in order to gain their support. Eldon Curtis, the Archbishop of the Roman Omaha Roman Catholic Archdiocese was invited to open or close the festival in prayer. So that was written by John Malone. So that's, uh, you know, this is what you're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's mind-blowing. Can you imagine this? Uh, you know, I, I was saved out of the Church of Rome. Can you imagine if I went to a crusade? You know, somebody said, oh, you heard of Louis Palau? Oh, yeah, he's a preacher. Oh, yeah, let's go. And you go there and, and you see a tent. And you see priests and you say, what's this? And the guy starts handing me rosary beads. <laughs> yeah, you, you see how it doesn't fit, folks? This is unbelievable stuff. But, but you know, folks, this is accepted, widely accepted. You know, people roll their eyes if you attempt to speak to them about such things. This is the time that we are living in. You know, there's a movement called the John 17 movement. I've spoken about this before. I'm going to play a clip from a short little video I did regarding this movement. So listen carefully. There's a movement called the John 17 Movement. And uh, this movement, uh, basically, it justifies joining with uh, other denominations, including the Roman Catholic Church. So, you know, this movement was basically started by a man by uh, the name of Joe Tosini. He's a Pentecostal minister, and he believed the Lord spoke to him back in 2013 and uh, about seeking unity amongst uh, the Christians, and uh, including the Catholic Church. And he had a desire to meet with the Pope. And, uh, you know, he met with the Pope in uh, 2016. I think uh, on that day, uh, one of the days, he might have met at different times for almost three hours. And um, the Pope even invited uh, the people that went over there with him to take selfies with him. So let me just say something here, folks. The Pope is no dummy. You know, stuff like this is all over the papers. So when you are taking pictures with the Pope, and, and now you're showing everybody, uh, Catholics and Protestants and so on and so forth, together, that's exactly what the Church of Rome wants. Up on the screen, you can see, you'll see Francis Chan. He's a well-known minister. He met with the Pope in uh, 2017. So, you know, what's, what's happening here, folks? This unity that I've been speaking about 
basically since I'm saved, that's that's what you that, that we're all one. You see that we're all we may have our differences, but we're all Christians. We're all, we're all we all believe in the same Jesus. But that's not true. That's not true. So uh, I know that because the, the the real Jesus saved my soul, uh, and by the Spirit of God told me to leave the Roman Catholic Church. That, that, that they preach the counterfeit gospel. So stuff like this, uh, like this, um, this John 17 movement, it's basically really nothing new. Well, as I said, you know, there's really nothing new, but I just wanted you to see who was involved. Another person that we can uh, take a look at is Mr. James Robeson. You know him. He has a television show. You know, he happened to do a uh, show back in 2011. And on that particular program, he had a Roman Catholic priest on as his guest. It was a, a priest by the name of Father Jonathan Morris. He's no longer a priest, by the way. I think he wanted to get married, so he left the priesthood. So, But as far as I know, he's still a Roman Catholic, still pushing uh, Roman Catholic doctrines, as far as I know. So, uh, But at the time, in 2011... He was on uh, the program with Mr. James Robeson uh, and his wife. And I listened carefully as uh, Mr. Uh, Robeson spoke about a time that he spoke to Billy Graham. See, uh, Mr. Robeson used to speak out against the Roman Catholic Church, and he made a phone call to uh, Billy Graham, and, you know, speaking, you know, why are you joining hands with Rome? And... Um, Long story short, Billy Graham was talking to him, you know, stuff like, do you, do you really get to know the Catholics and so on and so on. Uh, so uh, the next thing you know, Mr. Robeson is working with the Roman Catholics. So on this particular uh, program, he's talking to this priest and he's talking about, you know, the time he says that he says, oh, I, I chewed out Billy Graham. And he, he puts his hands up and he says, oh, God, forgive me, forgive me. So look, listen to this. I want you to see what took place. He took the counsel of a man who was seduced by Rome. Graham was already seduced by Rome. He listened to the words of the man instead of sticking with the scriptures, instead of sticking with the word of God. The truth sets you free, ladies and gentlemen. That's what set me free. So now, now he's working with the Church of Rome. It, it, it was it was pitiful to watch. I'll tell you that. It, it, as a former Roman Catholic, it, you know, I look at stuff like this. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable stuff. Ephesians five and eleven. It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So that's what should have taken place. And you know, I'm going to put an image on the screen. There. It is a an image of Mr. Robeson now. He went over to Rome and some other people, uh, and there he is high-fiving the Pope. <laughs> and uh, another person that was over there, John Arnott, and his wife, he was the one that was involved with the uh, that Toronto uh, revival, is what they call it, at uh, Toronto Airport or something like that. So, you know, people go over there. Kenneth Copeland was over there. They're all having dinner together. Everybody's swinging together. <laughs> you know, we're brothers. No, 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 ma'am. No, sir. You know, true unity can only be in the Holy Ghost. There is a true unity, but it's for those who have been truly born again of the Holy Spirit, God's way. And when I was born again of the Spirit, I came out of that system quickly because the Holy Spirit of truth is going to guide you and show you the errors of their teachings, which are many. Oh, yes. So, 
you know, what's taking place described by the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 4 and 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or doctrines of demons, whichever way you prefer. Another one, Pat Robinson, you know him from the 700 Club. I think he recently stepped down. Um, his wife recently died. You're sorry to hear about that. But um, Mr. Robinson works with Rome regularly for decades. So yes, he did. In fact, if you take a look at the uh, university, Regent University, that's the uh, college that is aligned with uh, Mr. Robinson, the 700 Club, you know, they have the sacrifice of the Roman Catholic Mass offered up regularly in that college, in that university. Oh, yes, they do. It used to be every Tuesday, as far as I know, nothing has changed. So, uh, obviously, they work hand-in-hand -hand with the Church of Rome. He has no problem with that. You know, when John Paul II died, uh, this is what Pat Robertson had to say. This is from CBN.com. April 2nd, 2005, he said, I am deeply grieved as a great man passes from this world to his much-deserved eternal reward. John Paul II has been the most beloved religious leader of our age, far surpassing in popular admiration a leader of any faith. I pray for the cardinals of the Catholic Church that they might have God-given wisdom in selecting the successor to this great man. Their task will not be easy. But with God, all things are possible. Now, if I pray that God gives God-given wisdom to Rome, they're going to leave that place, folks. They're not going to be picking another pope. You see that? God-given wisdom, the truth is going to set them free. So, so once again, this is where we are in the modern day. Now, I want you to contrast what Mr. Uh, Pat Robertson said with what took place with a man by the name of Marty Minto, okay, also back during the time of uh, the death of the Pope. So it says here, this is an excerpt from an article from Charisma Now. It says, Marty Minto, 39, a senior pastor of the 100-member Turning Point Community Church in Newcastle, was fired earlier this month after three years as a host on Word FM, that's W-O-R-D, FM in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported, Minto said he was told he was alienating listeners. After the April 2nd death and funeral of the Pope, Minto discussed with callers John Paul II's deep devotion to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Catholic beliefs such as purgatory. I made it clear that the discussion was not an attack on the character of the Pope, but rather a look at the teachings, not only of John Paul II, but of the Catholic Church. Minto said, that he responded to the question about whether the Pope would go to heaven with the belief held by many evangelicals that a person must be a born-again believer. So that's from Charisma Now, April 21, 2005. Okay, now, uh, look at that, folks. So do you see the contrast between what Mr. Pat Robinson did? By the way, you know, we're talking about a multi-million dollar ministry folks the money comes in oh yes it does now here's this humble pastor marty mento just trying to do the right thing is a radio program he obviously he's trying to reach people so that they might be born again that they might be saved 
And now, obviously, he took a stand for the truth. This is heavy-duty stuff here, folks. He's standing for the truth, and the man was fired. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. You see, the sword of the word, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to divide. And he, so here he is told that he's alienating listeners. That's heavy, folks. You see, this is where we are today. It's been going on for decades. And, you know, there's just, it's, it's like a demonic dance. It's like, a, a, I always have this mental picture of a square dance with, with Roman Catholic priests and, 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 and Christian pastors just doing a little do si together. This is what's going on, folks. It is from the pit of hell. That's why I'm doing this video, folks. Speaking the warning once again. So, you know, I thank God for people like Marty Minto that took a stand. You see? And he suffered for it. It's called persecution. You see? So when, when light comes against darkness... There's going, to be, there's going to be confrontation. It's going to be a problem. You see? You know, you can, you can be a pastor in a church and just tell the people, come on, let's give Jesus a hand. Everybody loves Jesus. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand. Anybody could do that, folks. And it goes on a lot in modern-day churches. You see? So when you try to warn people, it's not well-received. There's a man by the name of Larry Thomas. He's not alive anymore. You know, I had a couple of videos back in the day. Uh, he, he did teachings on discernment. He wrote a book called uh, The Watchman. So he, he, he spoke about discernment a lot. And he was part of a ministry in, uh, that were, where there uh, were other uh, ministers. And what, what, what they would do, they would meet every day and they would take turns, you know, leading uh, the meeting, you know, giving a word and, and, and preaching, I guess, a short message. You know, I guess they would pray together, which is a good thing, by the way. So one day, uh, what Larry did, he took his appointment book. I think it was a leather appointment book that he brought with him. And it was, it was his time to preach. And in his appointment book, he had little sayings on the top. You know, those little uh, inspirational sayings, you know. Uh, but, but it wasn't the scriptures. So what he did, he started preaching to them. And he started quoting those little sayings that were at the top of each page. You know, the calendar there. And uh, he, what he said, he, he threw in a couple of these and thous, and he wanted to make it sound really spiritual, you know. So as he's preaching, and they said revival almost broke out. He says, people are saying, preach it, Larry. Amen, my brother. You go with that. You go, my brother. Preach the word of God. You know, they, that went on for a few minutes uh, until he stopped and, and told them, what he was doing. He, he let, them, let them know the charade, what, what he was up to. And he was teaching on the topic of discernment. The point he was obviously making is that here I am preaching to you. I'm, I'm not even preaching the word of God, but I'm doing it in such a way that you're, 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 you're receiving it, you see? So he was trying to give, give them a teaching on discernment. That's what he was doing, ladies and gentlemen. I, I like that story, by the way. Uh, that he told. Another person that's met with the Pope, Mr. Joel Osteen. He met back in uh, June 2014. He attended a Catholic Mass. There were over 100,000 deceived people that attended that Mass. Paul Crouch, another one, TBN, they dance with Rome. They've been dancing with Rome for a very long time. You know, uh, a while ago I did a video. They, they were selling products at the TBN store, folks. They were selling rosary beads, you name it, books on how to pray the rosary, uh, 
books on the Catholic Mass, books about the popes. You want it, it was right there. I couldn't believe it. You know, lately, you know, if you go there, they don't have a store anymore. You cannot find anything. So I don't know what happened, ladies and gentlemen, but trust me, they were selling Roman Catholic stuff. I know they have priests regularly on that show also. So it's called uh, apostasy. It's compromise, ladies and gentlemen. They went over to meet the Pope also, uh, over to the uh, Rome and the whole nine yards. Another one, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard of a Catherine Coleman. This was before I got saved, so um, I wasn't aware of this until obviously years later uh, when she was not even alive anymore. But, um, you know, during the heyday of the uh, Catholic charismatic movement, many people were, they were swept away by stuff like this, folks. It, it, this unity, this, this joint meeting of Christians and Catholics together. Now, Jamie Buckingham uh, wrote an autobiography called The Daughter of Destiny. And in that book, Kuhlman had a special love for doctors and wanted them either on the stage or a, on the front rows of the auditorium. The same was true of priests and nuns, especially if they were in uniform. Nothing thrilled Catherine more than to have 30 or 40 Catholic clergymen, especially if they wore clerical collars, or better yet, cassocks, sitting behind her while she ministered. Somehow it seemed to lend authenticity to what she was doing and help create the proper climate of a trust and understanding which was so necessary for a miracle service. So, um, you know, th that's what we're dealing with, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give you a quote now from a, uh, a book. It's called All Roads Lead to Rome, the Ecumenical Movement by Michael de Semlian. Okay? He's talking about a, a, a priest by the name of Tom Forrest. Now, I remember that name because when I was in the Roman Catholic charismatic movement for a, a bit, two or three years, I forget what it was. You know, I used to go to Roman Catholic healing masses and, and, the, and the whole nine yards, which I spoke about earlier in this documentary. And, uh, this is a quote regarding this man, Tom Forrest. Tom Forrest, a key figure in charge of Rome's decade of evangelization program and at the head of the whole Catholic Charismatic Renewal Organization, certainly puts the doctrines of Rome to the fore. At a training session for Roman Catholics at Indianapolis 90, he spoke with enthusiasm and deep conviction about his renewed faith. In view of his importance to the ecumenical movement of the 1990s, he is quoted here at some length. Here's what he said, My job... My role, our role in evangelization is not just to make Christians. Our job is to make people as richly and fully Christian as we can make them by bringing them into the Catholic Church. No, you don't just invite someone to be Christian. You invite them to become Catholics. You invite them to come with you as a new parishioner of your Catholic Church. We don't just have the Eucharist as a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. On our altars, we have the body of Christ. We drink the blood of Christ. Jesus is alive on our altars as offering and as a banquet of love. We become one with Christ in the Eucharist, the very body of Christ. As Catholics, we have Mary and that mom of ours, queen of paradise, is praying for us till she sees us in glory. Wow. So, 
You can see the way the Catholic uh, charismatic movement works, folks. You know, just by what that man said, he's not alive anymore, uh, Mr. Tom Forrest. He, he said, we don't just have the Eucharist as a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. On our altars, we have the body of Christ. We drink the blood of Christ. So there you, there you have the Catholic Eucharist, folks. You see that? This is the false gospel of Rome. So this is what he's saying. Don't make him just bring, make him a Catholic. So this is what the, uh, the reformers fought against, and this is why they were bludgeoned to death, killed, burnt at the stake, because they stood against just what this man, uh, Tom Forrest, a big influence in Roman Catholic charismatic movement, look what he said there. So he's standing for the very same thing that the reformers stood against. Do you see that? So I've said it before, the, the Roman Catholic charismatic movement, folks, is Roman Catholicism on steroids. Don't be fooled into this singing together. I was in the movement. I know what it's about. I've spoken to people within a charismatic prayer group that we came out of. Uh, we, we told them, no, we can't do this thing with Mary. In fact, my praying to Mary increased when I was in the charismatic movement. I spoke about that earlier. It, it increased. So, so it's a deception, folks. People don't want to hear it, though, but I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in fact, you know, I started attending a, a non-denominational church after I was saved, me and my wife, Kathy, and we, we met a Christian woman, uh, and we told her our testimony, how we were delivered out from the cult of Roman Catholicism, and she listened carefully, very nice lady, and it's kind of funny, about a year later, we met the same lady in, uh, in like the same exact spot. And we started talking to her again. And, you know, hey, good to see you. How you doing? And then she, she knew our background, so she told me, she said, you know, I, I just joined a, um, a Catholic charismatic prayer group. I'm praying with them now. And I looked at her, and I, and I, and I said, you know, be careful, sister. Before you know it, they're going to have you pray in a rosary. She looked at me, and she says, I feel sick. They already have me pray in the rosary. Folks, I know a divine appointment when, when I have it. You know, this is what I am talking about, folks. This is reality. This goes on on a regular basis. And, and you won't hear about things like this in a the pulpit. They don't go near it. That's why we are where we are today. Let's talk a little about the counterfeit Mary of Rome. So a lot of counterfeits, uh, you know, we have the counterfeit Christ, the counterfeit uh, Jesus Christ of Rome in that Eucharist. We have the counterfeit new birth, okay, how you become born again. And now we have the counterfeit Mary. So uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, he was addicted to Mary. In fact, on the inside of his papal garments, he had sewed Totus tua sum Maria. What does that mean? Mary, I am totally yours. Now think about that. If Pope John Paul II belonged totally to Mary, where does the gospel of Jesus Christ come in? Think about that. Mary, Mary, Mary. They attempted to kill this man. He survived that attack and gave all credit to Mary. Think about that. So uh, Pope Francis, he's another one addicted to Mary. When he goes on a, a trip to different countries, 
He prays before an image of Mary, asking her for protection. When he returns, he goes to that same image and thanks her for protecting him. So the counterfeit Holy Father has seduced millions. Oh, yes. And he consecrated the whole world recently to Mary. And wherever he goes, he's always consecrating uh, countries to Mary. Mary, Mary, Mary. This is from an article from John L. Allen. This is what he said in his homily on Thursday. Francis said that Jesus cannot be understood without his mother. At one point, the Pope also introduced an impromptu Marian devotion, inviting the assembly in St. Peter's Basilica to rise, face the statue of Mary, and repeat three times, Mary, Mother of God. The Pope recalled that at the 5th century Council of Ephesus, a crowd actually shouted that phrase at the gathered bishops while waving clubs at them threatening violence if they didn't formally proclaim Mary as the mother of God. This time, Francis jokingly invited people to make the chant without clubs. He led the crowd in St. Peter's Square in the same chant during his Angelus address. Can you imagine this? So here's the Pope with, with all these thousands of deceived Catholics He's telling them, look at that statue and repeat after me, Mary, Mary, the mother of God, Mary, mother of God, Mary, mother of God. Only one problem, folks. God does not have a mother. Folks, God doesn't have a mother. That would make Mary deity. Do you see this, folks? Do you see this, folks? This is unbelievable stuff that is going on, folks. And you won't hear a peep from the pulpits of America. Oh, yes. You know, uh, what the Pope needs to do is read Acts 19, verses 23 to 28. And you can read about uh, the time when all the people uh, were, were crying out to Diana. You know, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And it, that passage dealt with Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines. So, you know, what happened, they, they were preaching against this. And Paul was speaking against this, and now the people uh, were upset. So he got these people making money, and they knew that their craft was in danger and um, started talking about the great goddess Diana. So this is what it is, folks. Think about the statues of Mary, all, all the idolatry. Think about the millions, billions of dollars that are made over the centuries with all these idols. It's demonic, folks, from the pit of hell. Here's another statement made by the present pope. Francis, this was in uh, May of uh, 2015, it says, Visiting Naples in March, Pope Francis told priests, nuns, and seminarians that one way to make sure Jesus is the center of their lives is to ask his mother to take you to him. A priest, a brother, a nun, who does not love Mary, who does not pray to her, I would even say one who does not recite the rosary, well, if you don't love the mother... The mother will not give you the son. Now, folks, have you ever heard anything like that before? The mother won't give you the son. If you don't pray to Mary, she's not going to give you the son. The Bible tells me God gave the son. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
So, so we, we've covered a lot of ground here. You're seeing the light. You're seeing the darkness, folks. The darkness of Roman Catholicism and how they have infiltrated the pulpits throughout the world. Rick Warren was another one who referred to Pope Francis as our Pope. Can you imagine this? Here's the man. The purpose-driven life. Known all over the world. Calls Pope Francis our Pope. Think of the martyrs, folks. Think of what you heard in part two. The martyrs burnt at the stake for taking a stand for truth. Here's a man calling Pope Francis our Pope. Remember Ulf Ekman? Yes, uh, here's a, a thing from uh, Charisma magazine. This man uh, was the head of a church uh, over there in Sweden and uh, for a long time. And they used to speak out against the teachings of Roman Catholicism. It says here in this article, during his Sunday morning service, Ulf Ekman announced that he and his wife, Birgitta, are converting to Roman Catholicism. Ekman is the founder of Word of Life, a megachurch in Uppsala, Sweden. News reports and blogs coming out of the nation reveal congregation was partially stunned after hearing what was packaged as a special announcement. The theme was, follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And last but not least, we have come in contact with representatives from millions of charismatic Catholics, and we have seen their living face. So that's something uh, that Ulf uh, Ekman uh, said. You know, they, uh, he, he was affected by the Catholic charismatic movement. Can you imagine going to church one day, and your pastor tells you, uh, me and my wife were converted to Catholicism? That's scary stuff. Another thing you need to know, folks, the persecution that I spoke about in the last section, uh, it hasn't stopped. It still goes on. Down in Mexico, uh, they're still persecuting people. Christians, you know, are being persecuted by the Roman Catholics in Mexico. Some of them are being thrown out of the house. Their water's being turned off. Electricity shut off. Some of them are being thrown in, thrown in jail. Some are killed. Why? simply because they refused to bend their knee to Rome. Many of them came out of the Roman Catholic Church. They got saved, just like myself. So now, the persecution. And keep in mind, this was the, the place, Chiapas, Mexico, where uh, Pope Francis visited. And he rode around on his uh, Pope mobile to, 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 to his adoring fans, you know, by the millions, I think it was. So keep that in mind, folks. This is what we're dealing with. Uh, over in England, there was a youth rally. Uh, it was called Adoremus, Liverpool 2018, National Eucharistic Pilgrimage and Congress. I am the bread of life. So this was Liverpool. The only thing I know about Liverpool, I believe that's where the Beatles came from. Um, so that's the only thing I know. But here we have uh, Adoremus, a National Eucharistic Pilgrimage and Congress. Adoration for young people, you can see up on the screen. There's an image there. I have an arrow going there. You see the circle? We've spoken about this. That's that uh, demonstrance. That's called the Blessed Sacrament, ladies and gentlemen. So here's this youth meeting. And um, part of the uh, things that we're handing out, it says here, in preparation for the National Eucharistic Congress to be held in Liverpool in September, the Archbishop has asked for each parish and school in his diocese to pay special attention to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. In particular, he has asked each school to have a holy hour before 
the Blessed Sacrament. The special place adoration of Blessed Sacrament holds in our faith can be found through Catholic tradition and can perhaps best be summarized in the following documents. And then they gave some documents, which I'm not going to go into. So I want you to see that this youth meeting, ladies and gentlemen, it all had to do with the worship of the Blessed Sacrament. That's the worship of that wafer host that they believe after transubstantiation becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And what they did, I saw a, part, a, a video, what they had, you know, on the screen was a, an image of, of, of a monstrance with that host in it, and they would be singing songs as people were adoring that image. Now, one of the people, you know, they had different musicians over there. You probably heard uh, of Matt Redman, uh, and they have songs for use during adoration. And you'll see right at the top, 10,000 Reasons, you know that song, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, Oh, 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 my soul. So that song was sung. Another one on the bottom there, Here for You by Matt Redman. So you had some well-known people there, folks. These, things are, uh, these songs are being sung as this image of the Blessed Sacrament is on the screen. My, oh, my. If you take a look back in 1978, they had a meeting in the Meadowlands called Jesus 1978, you had a mixture there. There were Roman Catholic priests and cardinals were there and other people such as Andre Crouch. You've heard of him. Through it all. Uh, so, so, so that's the mixture, folks. And, and back in 2016, there was a meeting called the Together 2016 meeting where Pope Francis, again, he p appears by video. Think about this. It's like these, these end-time movies, folks. It's like this Antichrist spirit uh, uh, appearing by video. And, and think about this. Big name preachers. Oh, it, it just, it's just it's, it's accepted. Do you see what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen? This is the hour. It's late. It's late. So I'm warning you once again. And uh, the man who st started that 2016 meeting, a man by the name of Nick Hall. And, uh, you know, he, he talked about what a privilege it was. What an honor that His Holiness, the Pope, would, would appear uh, to, to them at this meeting. And you had, I think it was for like a million people. I don't know how many people actually showed up, but all big names were on the itinerary for that meeting. So you see where we're heading, folks? That is the agenda. Remember 1994? You have the ECT agreement. That's when uh, evangelicals and Catholics, they sign this agreement. You know, we're not going to evangelize you. They're going to work together to evangelize the world. No, you cannot, you cannot do that, folks. We preach to the Catholics, okay? We love them. You preach to them, though. Tell them they need to be saved, need to be born again of the Spirit. So that, uh, that movement was headed by the late Chuck Colson. By the way, his wife was a Roman Catholic. Think back in 1986 in Assisi, Italy, when Pope John Paul II, he had that meeting uh, with 12 major religions, there were all sorts of people there, witch doctors, people from Islam, the Buddhist people, Hindu, you name it, they were there, folks. So that's another thing that is absolutely mind-blowing. Here's a part I want you to pay close attention to, ladies and gentlemen, uh, regarding a man by the name of Shimon Perez. He's dead. He's a Jewish man. Uh, there was a meeting that took place in late 2014 between 
Pope Francis and Shimon Peres, okay? And Shimon Peres believed that the Holy Father, Pope Francis, was the one person who could bring about world peace, okay? So it says, Shimon Peres, a uh, patriarch of today's Israel, wants to leave a legacy. Most in this mode aim for things like monuments, memoirs, and money. Perez's aim is world peace. And in his opinion, Pope Francis, a man he calls Holy Father, is the one to make it happen. Vatican spokesmen concur, as does Italy's representative for Islam, who fully agrees. That's heavy. So, so here's this man uh, saying that this is the guy we, we want. He should be the leader. Okay. On September 4th, 2014, he was granted an impressive 45-minute meeting with Catholicism's popular pontiff. A man Perez asserts is more powerful than the United Nations for advocating peace. The problem, as Perez sees it, is that in the past, most wars were motivated by the idea of nationality. Today, however, they're being waged primarily in the name of religion. In an exclusive interview with the Catholic periodical Familia Cristiana, the Christian family, Perez divulged his plans. Perhaps for the first time in history, the Holy Father is a leader not only respected by many people, but also by different religions and their leaders. In fact, Perez clarified, is perhaps the only truly respected leader in the world today. While Francis has refrained from commenting on Perez's assessment, that same silence permits it. It also permits the framework of Perez's idea to be tested in the crucible of world opinion. The United Nations has had its day, Perez opined. What we need is an organization of united religions, a united nations of religions. This will be the best way. He continued to fight terrorists who kill in the name of faith. He was asked by Fulvio Scaglione, deputy managing editor of Famiglia Cristiana, would you see the Pope as the leader of united religions? Yes, Perez replied. So this is what we're dealing with, folks. It's accepted. The Muslim uh, leader, uh, his name is Yaha Palavicini. He's the imam of the Al-Wahid Mosque in Milan and vice president of Islamic Religious Community of Italy. Okay? So, you know, he's agreeing with this thing regarding the Pope. By the way, that article came from the Jerusalem Post. Here's something that you need to know, folks. Shimon Perez was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Keep in mind what the Lord said. He said, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. So this is what we are dealing with, ladies and gentlemen, regarding uh, this acceptance. You have the, the unity taking place. The unity and, and, and we're all one. You know, often you'll hear talk about the three monotheistic religions, you know, talking about Judaism, uh, Christianity, um, Islam. Uh, folks, there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. You know, as I, I spoke before about that meeting that they had, Pope John Paul II, in Assisi, Italy, I remember the Pope was smoking a long peace pipe. 
you know, and people are Buddhist with it, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, witch doctors. So you got to say to yourself, how does the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob feel about all this anyway? Look at Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. There's only one God. But you have to realize, folks, that the first and the last is speaking about the person of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Glory to God. You know, folks, the Jewish people do not receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They don't believe he's Lord. They don't believe he's the Son of God. And nor do the Muslims believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They don't even believe that God has a son. Can you imagine this? So when you see this unity taking place, this proposal, you see this, folks? The way that the popes, uh, Pope John Paul II, Pope Francis and other popes, they talk about this unity, the three great monotheistic religions. Oh, we're working together. Sorry, it does not work that way. You know, a lot of talk is about dialogue, how you dialogue. Well, here's a dialogue. Here's, here's a dialogue between Jesus and his own people. John 8, 42 to 45, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Wow. So, you know, that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ dialogue, folks. So, so what you see here when the popes talk, that's their Roman Catholic uh, message. That's, 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 it's deception. And that's why I'm speaking the way I am. John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So is the Pope worshiping in God in spirit and in truth? Absolutely not. By the very way he speaks, joining hands with people who reject him as Messiah, as Christ, as Lord. It, it cannot fit, folks. It, don't, it does not fit. So don't forget that. Isaiah 8.20, To the Lord and to the testimony, if they speak not, according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So, uh, you know, keep in mind, folks, that the Muslims, they do not even believe that God has a son. Think about that. They don't believe it. Here's some quotes from the Quran. The Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than God's apostle. 
God is but one God. God forbid that he should have a son. Those who say the Lord of mercy has begotten a son preach a monstrous falsehood at which the very heavens might crack. God forbid that he himself should beget a son. Now, and if you're a Jew, true born-again believer, you should be outraged by that. Here's some more. Praise be to God who has never begotten a son, who has no partner in his kingdom. God has begotten a son. God forbid. Self-sufficient is he. If the Lord of mercy had a son, I'd be the first to worship him. So that's the, uh, that's the belief of the people of Quran. And, and the Jewish people reject Jesus. Uh, they don't believe God as a son. They don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe he's the Messiah. This is what the Apostle John said, 1 John 5, 9 and 13. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son, he that believeth not the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you see how eternal life, it's all in Jesus Christ, folks? So the Muslim, and for the Jewish person, they reject Christ. Look, they reject him as the Son, and that's where eternal life is. Do you see that? How can you have unity with, with those people? It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So if you're a Christian and you go along with a program like that, folks, you need to repent. Get right with God. This is the word of God, folks. This is the word that will judge you one day. The Bible tells us that the wrath of God is abiding upon them who refuse to believe in Christ as Messiah and Lord. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. They are of an antichrist spirit. 1 John 2, 22. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He's antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof you have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. That's 2 John 1 and 7. So we see the big problem, folks, when you join in unity with people who reject Christ as Lord, as Messiah. They reject the deity of Christ, the divinity of Christ. Hear me now. Jesus Christ is God. Hallelujah. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is God, equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's the Jesus uh, that I serve, folks. And that's the Jesus you need to know. So God speaks to us how? In his present day, by his Son. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers 
by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Glory to God. God speaks by his Son. He purged our sins by himself. Mother Mary was not there, folks. It has nothing to do with it regarding purging our sins. So, you know, let me give some glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in this time of apostasy. Let me leave you with words you can remember. John 14 and 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way, folks. Acts 4, 10 to 12, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. A man was healed. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Glory to God. John 8, 23 to 24. And he said unto them, speaking to Jesus, ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, if you look at the King James, which I read, it says, for, ye, for if ye believe not that I am, the word he is in italics, what he's saying, Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am, that's the name of Almighty God, ladies and gentlemen. And he's saying, if you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins. Hear me now. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the I am, we're talking about the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you don't believe that, you're going to die in your sins, no matter who you are. No matter what you believe, you will die in your sins. Exodus 3, 13 and 14, this is where that name is spoken. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am had sent me unto you. So right then and there, you know, God told Moses when he was asked, what should I tell him? What's your name? He said, I am. Tell him I am had sent me unto you. So here Christ uses that same uh, lingo, the same wording, ladies and gentlemen, when he spoke to the people. And he said, if you don't believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Oh, yes. So this, this is good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, keep in mind that Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, could it be any clearer, ladies and gentlemen? We're talking about the words of Jesus Christ. 
We're talking about the one who created all things. Look around you, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, the trees, creation, mankind. And he said, you're not condemned if you believe on him, but if you don't believe, you're already condemned. You're going to end up in hell. folks. Let's get real. Let's not play religious games. You will end up in hell. So right from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. So you've heard a lot in this documentary, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I testified how I came out of darkness, how the truth set me free by the power of the Holy Spirit. My spiritual eyes were opened up. So, you know, the things I spoke about here, you know, the man-made teachings of Rome, uh, the counterfeit Christ of the Eucharist, the counterfeit new birth, uh, through infant baptism, the counterfeit Mary, including all of the apparitions, the counterfeit place called purgatory, over 100 curses against those people who reject her teachings. You find that in the Council of Trent, which was upheld by the Council of Vatican II. Rome declares that they are the only true church. And then you have indulgences, mass cards, rosary beads, the confessional booth, and so on and so forth. Folks, we uh, listen to the uh, teaching regarding the martyrs, the men and women of God who stood against the false teachings of Rome and they paid the price for it. People such as William Tyndale who desired to get this book, the Bible, the forbidden book uh, of, of the Church of Rome in those days, wanted to get this book into the hands of the common people so that people like myself, the ungodly wretches of the world, uh, can benefit, and we did benefit from their labors, ladies and gentlemen. Keep in mind, in Mexico, Christians are still being persecuted, banned from certain villages, simply because they refused to convert to Roman Catholicism. Many of those were former Catholics, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, you're dealing with some serious stuff here, folks. As I said, Rome has an agenda. We've seen the inroads, the infiltration that the Church of Rome has made over many, many years. The whole world has watched for all of that time. Whenever the Pope travels the world, the media is all over it. So people are being conditioned, ladies and gentlemen. Conditioned, still being conditioned for the ultimate deception, especially with all of these counterfeit unity meetings that have become so commonplace in these last days. What you are hearing is, we are brothers. We are brothers. Let us finish the work that God began. We are brothers. So it's the coming brotherhood of men that we are being set up for, ladies and gentlemen. It is a unity in the flesh, not in the spirit. Don't forget that. The unity that the Pope is talking about is a unity in the flesh. It's a man-made unity. It is not a unity in the spirit. There's always been a true unity in the Holy Ghost, ladies and gentlemen. So the Bible tells us this in Galatians 3 and 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. How do you become a child of God? By faith in Christ Jesus. As I said, the popish mode, the popish unity, it is a unity in the flesh, the counterfeit Holy Father. 
does not preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Who would ever think that a pope could enter Christian meetings at the drop of a hat, appearing on video screens? And here's a church that has over 100 curses against people who reject their counterfeit teachings. Can you imagine if somebody made a request uh, for the Pope to read uh, some of those 100 curses before the people? Uh, Can you imagine that, how ridiculous that would be? And I wonder if the people would even uh, bat an eye. Uh, It's unbelievable, folks. But this is what is going on today. Oh, yes. You know, one of the curses, if you refuse to believe in the Eucharist, if you refuse to believe that uh, it can be carried around and, and adored, you're under a curse. So I'm under plenty of curses, ladies and gentlemen. So this is what you're dealing with, folks. You know, all it would take is just one global shaking event for something to be set in motion. Where do you think people are going to turn to? They're, they're going to go run into the counterfeit Holy Father because they've been conditioned to do exactly that. You know, I remember uh, the October Missile uh, Crisis, the Cuban Crisis, uh, if you're old, you probably remember it, and that took place in October of 1962 when there was uh, ships coming from Russia toward Cuba and missiles, nuclear missiles, and the whole nine yards, and there was a lot of talk, a lot of fear of a nuclear confrontation taking place. And even in our modern day, we're hearing that type of talk going on regarding that war over in Ukraine. You know, Russia and Ukraine, we're hearing talk of nuclear weapons being used. So who knows, folks? Things can change in one day. You'll never forget that. One day, things can change. Things can be turned upside down. So, folks, I want you to know that God has a global plan also, and God always wins. Luke 2, 10 and 11, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. There's only one Savior, ladies and gentlemen. This Savior came into the world approximately 2,000 years ago, and this is good tidings. It's great joy, and it's for all people. Jewish people can be saved, Muslims can be saved, Buddhists, Hindus, and so on, but they must come through Jesus Christ, the Savior. There's only one way to be saved, and that same Savior said this in Isaiah 43 and 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So, folks, the Savior that I believe in today is eternal. He came down from above, sent down from above, and it says right here, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. If you remember the story that was told in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well that met Jesus Christ, She had an encounter with him, and then she went back to a town to tell her townspeople what took place. So they wanted to meet this man called Jesus Christ. Listen to this in John 4, 42. This is what they said to the woman that brought them back. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of 
of the world. So those people, they had an encounter with Christ also. They knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Folks, this is approximately 2,000 years ago. There's nothing to wait for, no postponement. Either you come through Christ or you don't come at all. And this same Jesus Christ said this to his followers in John 14 and 26, but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now keep in mind those people that came back to meet Jesus, they didn't need a popish interpretation of the scriptures. They did not need a teaching office called the Magisterium. They did not need the Vatican. They had an encounter with the living God, and that's how it is with every person who's been truly born again of the Spirit. The counterfeit unity, ladies and gentlemen, with other religions is exposed by this verse here, Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That shuts down that false unity. Ladies and gentlemen, talking about three monotheistic religions, the Jewish people, the Muslims, and the Christians. Right here, folks, you need the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, same thing. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, folks, you don't belong to God. I'm telling you right here. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God that will judge you one day. So if you don't know the Lord, folks, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen to this in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As I get ready to close, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from two different people. There was a man by the name of Keith Green. He wrote a series of gospel tracts, Bible tracts, if you would, called the Catholic Chronicles. He spoke out against the Church of Rome. I happen to have a copy of each of those tracts. You cannot get them anymore. They were pulled. This man died in a small plane crash back in 1982 along with a missionary family, two of his own children. plane went down, you know, I believe it was right on their own property. And uh, shortly before he was killed, he wrote these tracts, folks. This is what he said regarding the Church of Rome. Don't ever forget what you are about to hear. It is obvious by even this brief glimpse into the doctrines of mortal and venial sins, confession, penance, and purgatory, that the Roman Catholic Church has constructed one of the most unbiblical doctrinal systems that has ever been considered Christian. The fear, anguish, and religious bondage that such a system of reward and punishment creates has tormented millions of lives for centuries and continues to prey on those who are ignorant 
of the biblical way of salvation. To merely call such a system a cult would be to throw it into the vast category of religions and quasi-religions that are currently making the rounds of our college campuses and city streets, snatching up many an unsuspecting youth. No, the Roman church is not a cult, it's an empire, with its own ruler, its own laws, and its own subjects. The empire has no borders. It encompasses the globe with its eye on every person who does not vow allegiance. It calls the members of other faiths separated brethren and has as its goal the eventual bringing together of everyone under its flag. I know that many will not be convinced or moved by this article or any of the others to make such a conclusion. They are impressed by what they've heard about recent stirrings among the Catholics in the charismatic renewal. Many evangelicals, especially charismatics, have been thrilled by the reports of Catholics speaking in tongues, dancing in the spirit, having nights of joy and praise, even attending charismatic masses. Mouths that used to speak out boldly against the Church of Rome have been quieted by the times. It no longer is in vogue to speak of the Pope as the Antichrist or the Catholic Church as the whore of Babylon. Now Protestants unwittingly believe that our differences are not so great. Ah, that is just what she needs us to think. I've never completely understood why God led me to write these articles, but it becomes more clear with each day of study and each page of research, never has something so black and wicked gotten away with appearing so holy and mysteriously beautiful for so long. And that's once again Keith Green from the Catholic Chronicles. The last closing quote here, I close this documentary out with the quote from a famous street preacher from England the author of a book, Why Revival Tarries. So this man, he was a bold and uncompromising outdoor evangelist. I heard when he preached on the streets, he would stop traffic, folks. He was a powerful uh, man of God. This is what he wrote, and you can find this in that book, Why Revival Tarries. America would shake from coast to coast in 24 hours. If some preacher anointed with the Holy Ghost gave the Roman Catholic Church a broadside, these priests who dope men's souls, these idolatrous masses, these Calvary eclipsing prayers to Mary, these miserable millions cheated in life and death by the greatest forgery Lucifer ever made.